wrestling from a different point of view than everybody else and every couple of years or so we do a state of the union like this and the person i always ask to come and do that state of the union is the original founder of the truth show mr ben spindler how are you sir yeah really well seven years that is i tell you what james that's really impressive it's so impressive i've never been able to keep the only thing i've been able to keep going that long in my entire life is my relationship with my wife, and that is it. There's nothing else <laughs> I don't think that I've done for seven years nonstop. So congratulations, you've done a tremendous job. Well, thank you very much. And I, I mean, I should also thank you, good self, whose idea it was in the first place. Um, and of course, all the people who contribute to the Truth Me show over those seven years. And it's been nice in the last couple of years, we have so many different voices who've, who've joined us, like John, who comes most regularly and Brett, who I, it was one of those people I'd never thought I'd ever speak to, but he wanted to come and do a Troop show because he liked what we do. And that's like, that's really, really cool. and such a nice thing to say. Um, but we're going to talk about everything in pro wrestling because that's what State of the Union is. We talk about every company, even the ones we don't normally discuss. So I was going to start with WWE, which is probably not the most ideal thing to start with because yesterday on Monday Night Raw, they produced a show where none of the matches they advertised the previous week actually appeared on television. <laughs> which I think gives you a full commentary on the current state of Vince McMahon's empire, which is a big... Well, rumours of it's up for sale, rumours it's, it's still the biggest wrestling company in the world, I and mean, it is the defining wrestling company. I would say in the Western world, if you think wrestling, you think WWE. Where do you think we are with WWE compared to where we were seven years ago, Ben? I know you don't watch the product consistently, consistently, but you must have some ideas on in those seven years what's happened. <laughs> well, funnily enough, uh, the last one, well, maybe not the last time, but certainly one of the last few times that I came on to do this show, i.e. the anniversary show, um, we talked about the fact that I was barely re- watching anything in wrestling. I think I'd re- reached an absolute nadir in terms of my own following wrestling. I think that was 2016. Um, that would make sense because it was about a year after I'd, stopped working for wrestle talk and i just completely was leaving it behind basically um so in terms of those seven years so i I, sorry compared to that i am now watching it a lot more than i was then but still not watching it at all regularly certainly not wwe's product but from what i've seen the where we are now is that i think the big change if anything not that there's huge changes in terms of the presentation or the um just the booking or anything like that or anything they do in the ring, that's pretty much stayed consistently the same. Mm. I think the big problem, though, if I'm honest, is someone mentioned the word stylized on Twitter a while back. Yeah. And I don't know who it was, but they were they they it was the perfect word. It is so stylized now, WWE, the way you the way it looks and feels when you're watching it. They have those big, like the big uh graphic of Roman Reigns in the air like it's suspended in the air as he comes out in 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 front of a crowd and it just looks the first time you watch it it looks quite cool and then every other time you're like this is a bit over the top isn't it 
this is a bit weird. <laughs> and, and and then like Riddle when he kicks off his sandals and the, the doves or the birds come flying out on towards the screen every time. Those sorts of things now are really off-putting unless you really like them. And mm. I, I that's where I think, that's for me, that's the defining feature of WWE right now is this just really, it feels like it's quite niche even though it is the most watched wrestling show in the world. It feels like that they are like they are appealing to a niche crowd or a smaller and smaller group of people and maybe look this is maybe this is their way of trying to move their audience i think i may have spoken about this before where i feel like yeah maybe vince is willing to to just leave an audience behind and say all right i'm done with you i've moved on now i've got a new younger audience that i want to attract but from what i can understand from all the kind of ratings data that's coming out the the group that watches the most are still people over 40 years old so <laughs> i don't know what like i don't know how successful that policy has been if that is indeed a policy um and i just think that as a consequence of all those things plus i think the booking is really really stale and 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 dull but I, I think it's been that way for a long time if i'm honest i just think that the 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 fact that it's it's dull is is now combining with the fact that they've also they've got a roster of talent that is really overexposed really really overexposed mm. so i think if you go back to 2014 when we first started the show i think there was quite an influx of new exciting talent i mean you got to remember at that time we weren't very far into the shields run the Wyatt family had only just arrived on the scene. You know, the the, the likes, we were still to get the likes of, you know, um, AJ Styles coming into the company. We were still yeah. to get Daniel. We still we just about had, in fact, we must have, yeah, it was just after that. We just had Daniel Bryan's big elevation to the main event. I know that he then was injured and whatnot. We had Rusev not yet arrived on the scene. Um, it was just a... It was a very, there was just all these new people coming in and they then were able to combine with the likes of Cena and CM Punk, who was, well, actually probably not been on the roster by the time this show started, actually. God, that shows how long CM Punk's been. <laughs> um, but yeah, you kind of had, you could combine them with Cena and Orton and the various faces that have been around for a while to get new, fresh, exciting matchups. Now, that's not happening. And instead, what they've got is a main event that Reigns, even Roman Reigns, has been around now eight years in WWE. People mm. forget this. He's not a young guy anymore. He's not a, like no. a, a, a sort of rookie talent with lots of new prospects and exciting opportunities. You now need to provide him with the young guys to go up against. Um, you've got like Drew McIntyre and, and Lashley, who are two of the other biggest stars in WWE, who were brought back around about this the, the time this pro, <laughs> this podcast started. I mean, lastly, maybe a few years after that, but Drew McIntyre came back to WWE in 2016, 2017. Yeah, um, yeah. So they've been around a while now and, of, of course, already had a previous run with the WWE that went on many years. So there's just a lack of fresh options mixed with the kind of very dull, repetitive booking that they've had for a long time, mixed with that really stylized production that they've got now, this really overly produced, almost difficult to watch with all the different camera angles and switches between camera stuff that just seems to get worse and worse progressively every year to combine for me to be a product that is hardly watchable it's really really difficult to watch now david bixenspan put a video out yesterday for a guy called jeff it's on youtube you can find it and he's a video editor many many edits news for a local tv station and he compared one minute of aw's television 
to one minute of WWE's television. I think it was Raw and Dynamite. <laughs> and the one minute of AEW had seven cuts. So it was like seven or eight cuts in it. And the one minute of WWE had something like 54 cuts. So there, yeah. was, <laughs> there was some like, you know, one maneuver took three cuts where AEW just kept the camera on the maneuver. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it, and and that is not from. I mean, I guess you could. Someone might probably argue. Well, it depends what minute you're picking from the two shows, right? So it could be just a, a really they, boring backstage promo and then like a really <laughs> happening match. But you could pick probably any moment within WWE and get a similar number of cuts. They picked the first match on both shows. The minute I mean, it was Britt Baker versus uh, somebody, and I can't remember the other one was, but it was like it was comparable. The opening match of your big show kind of mm. deal so it was comparable but equally it's just like and it was more about like doing the the match how you shoot the match um and they do we went on to explain like you know a lot of it is cin- cinematic but it's not good cinema like if you you could compare like aw to like john woo because john woo was famous for like big long shots like in hard-boiled in the hospital um gunfight scene there's a whole minute of just gunfight and it's all one take and all one shot and then near in uh liam neeson's taken which is considered not generally a classic of the action genre shall we say there's a shot of him jumping a fence that takes six six cuts to get him over the fence <laughs> so it's, it's like it's like yeah we don't associate cuts with good stuff and wwe does have that issue but you're right on the talent and it's something somebody else pointed out the other day, it's not even at the top of the card. Maya Yim and Tony Storm have been on the SmackDown roster for like two months and haven't been seen for two months. They had one match, and that's it. They're done. They're, they can't find space for the talent they have because they keep recycling these matches at the top of the card, so there is no room for anyone to go through. Well, even in the mid-card, even in the mid-card though, James, I mean, look at this Dolph Ziggler, Kofi Kingston, um, they've been on the roster for over 10 years each. Yeah. Peace. Go yeah. back to like peak WWF in either the end of the 80s or the end of the 90s and find me some wrestlers who've been on the roster and are still in the mid card 10 years after making their debut in the company. That didn't really, that didn't happen. And certainly they didn't have 10 years of continuous service at that point. Like they may have gone away and come back, but no, there was nobody who'd been around. The only one you, I could think of in the late 90s was The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. And they're two of the biggest stars in the business, in the history of the yeah. business. But, talk, and I'm not saying you want to get rid of Kofi Kingston. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like, this they just that's just an example. And there are loads of people. Like, you know, even people like Bobby Roode. I know he's been in WWE only for, like, five years. But I say only five years. Five years is still a long time. <laughs> but yeah. he'd been on national television for a decade prior to that already so again there's just a real lack of freshness and a lack of new things that they can do and new scenarios they can put these people into but they do also seem to have a huge amount of people they're not using at all which is really strange and um i find it i just find the whole thing very very strange it just i just feel like it's just a whole heap of um things that are not appealing to me and I think are probably not appealing to a large part of their own audience. But what WWE have been very lucky with, and I think, if I'm honest, the theme of this show in the end will prove to be the impact COVID has had Mm. on pro wrestling. And 
and probably in both a positive and a negative sense. So I feel like right now, WWE and a lot of other promotions as well are riding the high of people getting back to arenas, getting excited about wrestling again because they've just had 18 months without crowds. So everybody's riding that bounce that they're getting from everybody kind of people like myself who, you know, in the year 2000, I don't think I think I watched WrestleMania, which had no crowd noise at all. So it didn't even have the piped in crowd noise at WrestleMania last year. Mm. And was like, I can't watch this. I just can't. This, this, I can't watch this without fans. It just isn't. It's nothing without fans in the arenas. Um, although saying that, it's still better than football without fans. Football without fans <laughs> is the most dog shit thing there's ever been. <laughs> it, it does. It shouldn't exist without fans. It's absolutely terrible. But um, no, but wrestling without fans wasn't any good at all. And I got to the end of the year 2000. I thought I'm probably done with this wrestling stuff now. Like I don't. I don't think. So 2000, 2020. God. I should say. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to the end of 2020 and thought, God, I'm probably done with this wrestling stuff now. To be honest. Mm. And then something kind of got me back into it but i think i'm now almost as into wrestling as i was perhaps in 2014 2015 right when this show began and um i think a big part of that is we're back in arenas we've got crowds again yeah and and that has a couple of effects first of all it means fans are in the arena sound more enthusiastic so when you're watching you get that same perception from them that this is more important than what you've seen before and secondly that they're also the companies themselves are putting a bit more effort in because they're trying to kind of really themselves ride the momentum of that of that kind of relief of getting back to to having crowds in the arenas um but wwe really haven't suffered from covid in the way most of the rest of wrestling has in some way and i think this has been another reason why they have got have got progressively um resting on their laurels in it because they're just why they don't need to try they don't they haven't needed, they haven't needed crowds in fact they found themselves to be more profitable than ever without crowds because it meant they didn't have to move around the country they didn't have all the costs associated with setting up a new arena every week and you know streaming a live show from that arena now they could just be in one place set it all up they had everybody in the same place they didn't have to spend as much money on travel all that kind of stuff really will have helped them massively from a cost perspective and what we found of course is the majority of their profits comes from their television deals that they've got and the Mm -hmm. network subscriptions or and and now of course this five-year deal they got with peacock which is perhaps the biggest um change in the business of wwe in that in that time because seven years ago we were talking about the launch of the network as being the new thing the major Mm. kind of change in the industry and we saw over the that period since that first episode that you did you and i did that lots of other promotions followed suit you know all the indie promotions Mm. got their own on-demand service new japan got their own on-demand service all this stuff happened and then WWE next move was right. We're going to just we're not going to we're going to basically do away with the network. I mean, it still exists in this country and most of the rest of the world, but in America, we're going to do away with it. And instead, we're going to give all of our content to somebody else who will pay us a certain amount of money over five years to just you know have the rights to that content um, just to administer it. Exactly. And so they've yeah. now got they've got a guaranteed income for the next well, four years now, because I guess that, that deal is nearly yeah. a year into its into its original run. And so they don't even really have to try on that kind of micro scale of once a month making sure they put together a big show. They kind of still do to make their brand still valuable, but there's not the same acuteness of um necessity 
for them to build to the next big show and build a big star that will then sell tickets and sell pay-per-views and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, from their perspective, from a business perspective, WWE seem to have never been healthier. And so they don't need to try it. They've even seen their ratings go up the last month or so on Raw and SmackDown. And I think not because the maybe the product slightly improved because you've had some people come back and, you know, they got a bit of a bounce mm. out of that. Obviously, you had Cena and then let Becky Lynch and Brock Lesnar. But I think in general, the quality of the product's not gone up. It's just that they've now got the fans back and people are excited. So that they're they're riding that that bounce almost from the from the crowds returning. So you know they haven't had to try and i think that's partially the problem is that there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing you know that would justify them putting more effort in <laughs> simple as that no, i think that's it i mean it's like one of those things from the punk promo that came out back again in recent weeks and it's like it is like you know a long time since that punk promo but he did say vince will always make money in spite of himself and then he's right to the extent of the show never has to be great shakes he has enough investment in the pascalories of the product to be able to regurgitate that at the right amount of time to continually making money. He has essentially solved the big issue of the wrestling business, which is wrestling is a boom and bust business. It, it, it does have peaks and troughs. It does have valleys and so on and so forth. But he's managed to create an underlying income that means it's more predictable. You don't have to worry about building a big star for WrestleMania if you constantly have income and you can keep all these mouths fed and make all this money if you keep moving forward in that manner. Um, and I think that's that's maybe, aside from revolutionizing the business in the 80s, that's his biggest legacy since, is the fact that he's made wrestling recession-proof, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, we do have wrestling does die off during recessions, but there are wrestling recessions, either artistically or after a big beam period in whether even back in the territory days or for, for exterior reasons like the um, what's his UWF really died off because there was no oil money left in Oklahoma and Texas. It wasn't really to do with the product going downhill. It was to do with the fact that no one had money to spend on that stuff. So he's managed to monetize everything about the wrestling industry which has made it recession proof and i think you know whoever if someone does buy it out the talking about disney buying it out which i can't see because it doesn't seem to match with disney's kind of outlook on life <laughs> so i don't know but we'll see but yeah it, it is a business that now that is self-sustaining forever if you well for as long as there is interest in actual wrestling as a product itself i guess yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I could see it. I could see it fitting with Disney. I really could. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, before Disney Plus came out and everything, and I was talking about Disney Plus, the, the plans for them to bring Disney Plus out. And someone was like, "Oh yeah, but what would you, what would you get with that?" And I said, "Well, they now own." This person at the time didn't know that they own Star Wars and they own Marvel and that they own The Simpsons um, and all these various different properties. Pixar, obviously, you know, and mm. put WWE against all those as well. And it feels like the kind of thing Disney would be interested in. It's these big, the number one brand effectively in these all these various different kind of um, markets, these iconic brands that um, you you get hold of them and you can just list them off. And it sounds intimidating to anybody else. You know, if you're Netflix and now you've got Disney who have also got, have got all the stuff they already had plus a, a, a constant... Um, 
stream of new content from WWE because that's the other thing, isn't it? Is WWE produced an incredible amount of television every yeah. single week, new content every single week, like Raw three hours, two hours of SmackDown, two hours of NXT. You know, two hundred five live is an hour long. Um, you know, they've got pay per views and they're not every once a month now. They've got you know at least fourteen, <laughs> fifteen big shows plus your NXT takeovers, um, your Saudi Arabian shows. So, and you've got all their documentary type stuff and their interviews, the Austin interviews and all that. So they are churning out hours and hours of content every single week. And content, as has been said many, many times before, is king. Like these people, Netflix, Pixar, all these kind of, sorry, not Pixar, Netflix, Amazon, all these other guys, they aren't competing necessarily for money. I've said this before, they're not competing for you know, they they assume that the majority of people can afford to get both Netflix and Amazon um, yeah. and Prime Video, sorry. But what they want is you to go, actually, I don't need Prime Video because I watch so much Netflix and they get my attention for so long that there's no need for me to spend any money on, on Prime Video because I, I don't have any time to watch it. So if you're uh, one of these streaming services, you think, well, you know, WWE produces a lot of content. They they give me so many hours of things. And that would, if I can get all the wrestling fans to sign up to Disney Plus, for example, and then also watch, then also watch some of the superhero stuff and Star Wars or whatever else, then like, why would they go anywhere else? They might then start canceling their uh, uh, subscription for those other things. So I th- I can see it being a massive um, draw for someone like Disney. I think I think the issue with that is, and this is the downside of that, is which has recently happened to me actually. And I was a big fan of the Motrend um, app, um, which was a, a streaming service for at least cars and and vehicles and bikes and stuff like that, which is one of my other interests. And I watched that every day because there was thousands of shows on it. It was an ideal loads of thirty minute shows to fill you right to the bus with yeah. a laugh and you know learn stuff about cars and engines and and all of this stuff. And it was based around the Motor Trend organization in California, which is a division of Discovery. And um, it was originally just the American app, so you, everyone, everyone could, uh, to, could subscribe to it. And then they announced in June that they were closing it to non-American uh, users because um, for some reason, European websites don't work with American websites anymore. Don't know where they've got this from, but they do. And therefore, uh, European users could no longer, or worldwide users could no longer use it. Only Canadian American users could use it. And instead, use the Discovery Plus app, mm. which is, to be fair, cheaper. It's five, I think it was $6.99 for Motor Train, and it's £5.99 for, for Discovery. And has loads more stuff on it. But the most trend that's on Discovery Plus is two years out of date, because they don't put the new shows on until... A long way down the line. Yeah. So essentially, that audience from Motor Trend that was in Europe that was watching Motor Trend haven't signed up to Discovery Plus because it's full of shows I've already paid to see. So why would I? So you do have to watch that element of like how it's going to work. And I think that's the thing is we were taught that these specialist little subscription services were great and this is the way things were going to go. But as they've been overtaken by larger subscription services that absorb all this content. People are just going, some people anyway, I'm not sure how this is going to work out play field wise, but there are some people who are just going, well, no, I, I bought that because I like that. Why do I have to buy this thing? I don't want to get that. 
Yeah, is, no, agreed. No, it's, it's, it is a, it is something that, look, this is always going to happen, right? You, you've got a new thing. This is a new thing. When WWE did the WWE Network, people were talking about how innovative it was because there wasn't really anything else. Netflix was out there, but that was it, really. I guess Amazon Prime was probably also out there, but there wasn't there wasn't a Disney Plus, for example. There wasn't a Discovery mm. Plus at the time. There wasn't a BritBox. There wasn't... Um, any number of other things that are out there now. And there wasn't obviously all these wrestling streaming services either. So WWE were really kind of quite at the forefront of, of this kind of subscription-based service. But obviously, WWE is quite a niche product when you consider, like, mm. you know, you can talk about, oh, WWE is not that niche because 2 million people, for example, were probably subscribed to the network before the American network was switched off, if you like. But Netflix has like 100 million subscribers so it's yeah. it, the, the, the scale is that much bigger so you know and you can imagine in there's a marketplace now where you've got maybe a netflix sized company which dwarfs wwe then you've got a wwe company which say a uh, size company which say completely dwarfs some of the smaller promotions that are out yeah. there with their streaming services i mean it completely dwarfs new japan world quite frankly in terms of subscriptions and new japan world will dwarf other subscription services <laughs> because they're just more and more niche as you go um, yeah. it's just a way to try and get money a regular income out of the people that really like your specific product um but obviously what wwe have realized i think they i don't know who it was i think they saw a deal that was done for it might have been like the nba or something um mm. i want to i want to say it was a, i can't remember what it was there was something they saw a deal for it was nascar they saw yeah. a deal for NASCAR in America where they basically sold the rights to everything for five years for a stupid amount of money. And Vince was, you know, the WWE execs, which I take to mean partially Vince, were like, well, we could do a deal like that because we get X amount of money from our 2 million subscri subscribers, but we could sell the content for more money than we'd get for just the subscribers right. for, for the subscribers. So that's what they've done. And you know, it, it's ha ultimately that money that you've got from that and the money that they've already getting from NBC through the deal that they had for Raw and SmackDown meant that they had no way they were going to stop working during the COVID-19 lockdown. There was just no way they were just going to yeah. carry on. No problem <laughs> at all. They just based themselves in one building and just continued to rake in the money that they got from from they've always been getting from NBC. So, you know, and that wasn't open to all the other promotions it wasn't possible for all the other promotions so as i say bringing us back to where we came in like that is why they haven't really had to work that hard for the for the revenue and the fact that they continue to not really lose uh that revenue doesn't seem to be dropping at all because they they've had that constant money coming in and they've obviously cut a heck of a lot of talent over the last um couple of years this year in particular i think they've really slimmed things down and that's where i think those rumors are coming that somebody's going to buy wwe yeah definitely let us move on though to a company that didn't exist seven years ago in fact um seven years ago prince devitt was challenging hiroshi tana sorry kazuchi Hirokada for the iwgp heavyweight championship in this new faction called bullet club which lent on to a whole bunch of stuff. I think somebody put, out, somebody put a tweet out the other week. It said the fact that Prince Devitt turning on Raisuke Taguchi in 2011 changed the entire wrestling industry 10 years later because <laughs> it started off a new company is amazing. And of course, this new company has nothing to do with either Raisuke Taguchi 
Or Prince Devitt. <laughs> <laughs> AEW started more or less two years ago out of the ashes of, well, essentially the elite portion of Bullet Club and Ring of Honor and has, I wouldn't say taken the world by storm, but has certainly taken the wrestling world by storm because this has been the first serious contender to Vince since WCW and ECW closed their doors in the early 2000s. And it's been a mixed bag as far as... Um, uh, artistic content is concerned. For some fans, it's a bit too much, and for some fans, it's just perfect. But they are starting to hit their stride when it comes to the big signings and trying to build a legacy for the company, which doesn't really have a legacy to work on. One of the things we've just been talking about with WWE is everything's about legacy with WWE. They have literally 80 years of history to build upon, whereas AEW, AEW has to build that history now. And they've done some incredible things, most recently, of course, Signing the unsignable CM Punk. So, what's your thoughts on them at the moment, Ben? Well, I mean, I have. I was the last time I made a point to watch WWE regularly, for example, or a wrestling show of any kind regularly as it was happening. Other than the time when I was working for Wrestle Talk TV and felt like I was obliged to do so, was in the Attitude Era. So, from about 1999, when my parents first got Sky through to probably 2002 when i went to university i watched almost definitely nearly every episode of raw and most episodes of smackdown during that period of time and i made a point to do it i used to remember i used to sit down in my living room at about half past nine and my mum would be in the living room watching tv and i'd be waiting for her to fall asleep knowing that she would fall asleep at some point between half past nine and ten o'clock and then switch the channel over at ten o'clock to sky sports one and put Monday Night Raw on, and that was a Friday night in the UK, just mm-hmm. how it worked, and, um, and then my mum would wake up at about half past ten, and she would suddenly go, I was watching that, and I was like, what were you watching, you have been asleep for 45 minutes, what are you talking about, <laughs> um, so anyway, the reason I bring that up is because I now make an appointment to watch Dynamite each week on a Saturday morning, I record it on ITV4 on Friday nights, and I watch on a Saturday morning, and um, and I make a point to watch it, but mainly because Saturday morning also is quite nice and lazy time. So I don't need to do anything. I'm just, you know, it's a good time for me just to flick the chant TV on pretty much as I wake up, watch it in bed. And it's an enjoyable hour and a half. So that gives you some idea of the, the regard that I hold AEW in is because I'm actually making a point to watch it week on week. And it's not an ob- obligation. I actually want to watch it. Yeah. Um, and the reason... I say that is, and the reason I feel that way is it does a lot of things for me that I have been looking for in a wrestling promotion for a long time. And I got to be honest until about six months. Well, no, until about two months ago, I don't think I'd have even said that because I remember possibly the last time I came on the show or the last before the, the one before last I came on the show, mm. I may have talked about AEW and, and, and had watched it once and felt like it didn't give me much different than what I'd got from WWE maybe 10 years before. It was still very much... I th- the episode I watched started with a Jericho promo. It was about 10 minutes long. Then someone came out. They had a match for 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, this is just... This is the same. This is what WWE yeah. did. This is exactly what WWE have done for a very long time. So I didn't come back to it for a long, long time. Then I watched it a couple of times during the lockdown earlier this year. So I was kind of January and February, I kind of watched a few episodes and I was like, yes, it's all right. It's not too bad. I don't mind this. It's okay. And there's a couple of matches that were, I think there was a match involving Penta, um, El 
can't remember his name. I can't remember his full name. Pence uh, is fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, this is this is you know, obviously he's excellent, really exciting talent to watch. But I was still a bit like, well, yeah, but it's still just in ring stuff. But as I've watched it more, I've realized that actually they do a lot of things that I have been waiting for a wrestling company to do for a long time. For example, they always advertise the matches they're going to have before the show begins. Yeah. Like, I hate the fact that it was really funny. I saw you said at the beginning of the show that, you know, WWE didn't provide any of the matches that they had advertised. But I was just impressed that they'd advertised matches quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, done that in decades. They haven't bothered because obviously when the Monday Night War was going on, it was all about what what surprise can we hit people with instantly? Yeah. And for some reason, WWE haven't thought we don't need to do that anymore. That isn't a problem. We don't need people, we don't need to give people a reason to watch the first five minutes to see what's on the rest of the show because we don't need to hook them in like that. We can hook them in longer term by going, look, you know. Next week on Raw, or in two weeks on Raw, this match is going to happen, that match is going to happen. Um, and it's been such a thing that I remember seeing a, a criticism of AEW, which was somebody saying, oh, I get I get so bored knowing what matches are coming up next week. It was obviously somebody <laughs> who hadn't watched wrestling prior to 2005, I expect. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, God, we've gone so far away from what matters and what's important and what works and, and how these things build and how they how you get how you anticipate things coming in the future. And so I really love that they do that. I think it's great. The fact that they build up to things that are happening next week, and in some cases, two, even three weeks in the future. I think that's great. I think that they have combined really well the five sort of stars that Jericho talks about why he was willing to join AEW is that he had himself and Kenny Omega and Cody and John Moxley and then of course Adam Page mm. um, they've combined them really well now with a almost a second tier of young guys that any one of those original five could be replaced with should they need them to be mm-hmm. so you've got you know Sammy Guevara Orange Cassidy Darby Allin you know these those kinds of guys, MJF. You know they, they've they brought that sort of almost a second tier of guy young guys through, and then on top of that, they are integrating now some of the the signings they've made this year. So it's Malachi Black, or it's you know Andrade, or it's Christian, or now of course it's CM Punk. So the CM Punk thing kind of just backed everything up. I was already on board, and then was like, <laughs> now CM Punk's coming in as well, and. Honestly, I think he's just seen what lots of people who have been converted have seen, which is that this is a company that don't get it right all the time. No. There are weaknesses. It's not the perfect um, product, but th- all products have flaws. It, you, it's very, very difficult to get it perfect, especially when you consider the sheer weight of opinion there is about pro wrestling. But more often than not, they get it right. And more often than not, what they do is they provide a really entertaining couple of hours of television. You know, it was funny, um, as we're recording this, the last episode of Dynamite Dynamite they'd been on was the follow-up to CM Punk's appearance on Rampage the week before. Mm -hmm. And that episode was so low-key. It was a really... The Dynamite that followed that CM Punk arrival was so... It was not actually a great show in terms of... It was really unspectacular. It didn't... And I thought it was a... A mistake. I thought it was a missed opportunity because obviously mm. you just had Punk come in. You want to follow that up with something really big. But it also made me feel quite um, hopeful as well because I felt like 
uh, in different hands, they could have just shotgunned a load of stuff to happen on mm. that show, hoping that they could get that, keep that bump off of CM Punk. But instead, they've, they've got the confidence to say, you know what? We don't, we don't need to do that. We've got our plans. We're on track with those plans. We're not going to like suddenly change everything. So we are going to provide a show where the main event is Malachi Black against Brock Anderson, effectively a squash. Yeah. Um, and not be fearful of doing so. We're going to just because that's what we had planned to do anyway. We we know we've got Punk coming up, you know, in his his debut match in the pay-per-view in a, in a couple of weeks time. So we're just going to we're just going to go with it. So there was part of me I felt like it was a missed opportunity, but another part was quite um, impressed with it because I don't think there are too many. Certainly WWE would never be in this position where they they would allow this to go by without anything massive being shotgunned into the show. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. They held firm. And I, and I, I like that. I thought it was quite and I did actually enjoy the show, even though, again, nothing major happened. There was nothing superbly like important that took place. But all the storylines were kind of nudged along a little bit. We are very cl- We were very close and still are um, to their next pay-per-view, of course. So that's part of it is that they don't need to move anything for, too far forward because their pay-per-view is coming up very, very soon. But yeah, so. They just do a lot of things that I really like. I love the fact that they got the win-loss records. I love the fact that they talk about the rankings and the fact that, you know, you feel like every match means something. Even people, I imagine, who watch Dark or Dark mm-hmm. Elevation will feel that way because the, mat- the wins and losses seem to really actually matter. Yeah. Um, when you see a kind of young talent come on to Dynamite for the first time, or maybe not the first time, but the first time I've noticed them in the past, They've got a they've got a win loss record, so you know that they've been fighting on dark, and you know that they've perhaps won more than they've lost in the past. You feel like there's a history then to this person, who's come from a lower level, if you like, and is being given a chance now at that upper level because they've impressed, and so that makes it feel like a sport type thing, which I you haven't got from you know major um, mainstream American wrestling promotions for such a long time, and you know I think that there's a lot of work that's going into the characters and a lot of work that's going into that, those storylines and those plots. And I think that they, I just think they do a lot of things, right. I think that, as I said, they're, they're, they're far from flawless. There's, there are flaws, but they are, this is as close as wrestling has been for me to what I'm looking for, for a long time. I'm glad to hear that <laughs> very much. So, and I agree with you. I think that the, the flaws for me is the women's division but they're getting a lot better at presenting it. It needs more time. And I think that's their biggest issue is if they, they aren't, they never overpromise on the stars and they never overpromise on the story, but they have overpromised on, we're going to be different. We're going to do everything different. We're going to give you the wrestling promotion you want because there is opportunity for you to fall flat on your face at that point. And I think, um, the the women's division has great wrestlers in it and there's no reason why that level of talent shouldn't be presented i watched the um the first hour of i haven't watched all of it yet on our chance but i watched the first hour of the empowered show that the nwa did and there was obviously a lot yeah. of female AEW talent on that and you can tell how great they are by how polished they are compared to the nwa roster and that's no knock on the ladies of the nwa who are good in their own right but they aren't wrestling on television every week. They don't have that level of crispness. They don't have that level of uh, polish to the, to be an AEW talent or to appear on television on a regular basis. 
I'm, I haven't watched the Impact Women versus uh, a, the NWA Women bot yet, but I'm feeling that, you know, Deanna Perrazzo and Chelsea Green and those people are going to have that same level of crispness, if you see what I mean. So I think that's the that's the only kind of criticism I have of the company. The tag team division is great. I think they, they've discussed this online a bit, but the issue, I think, with the women's division was it was, it's going to sound rich coming from me, it wasn't portrayed well enough in its first year. It was a Joshy heavy division, but they didn't do enough to educate the American fans about how Joshy works. If they'd done that, I think they would have got a lot better response or train the Joshy wrestlers to work more like an American show, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I got, I've got a perspective on this, though, that I th- I'm, I don't give them a complete pass. And in, in fact, I said uh, on, on the Random Wrestling Review not long ago that if there is a place where WWE can exploit what AEW and not do well, it's the women's division. Yeah. WWE have got a heck of a deep talent roster. And here's the more important point. They've got a heck of a deep star level roster in WWE now. Like Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Bailey, Sasha Banks, Alexa Bliss. Um, these women, Bianca Belair, these women are women of headlined WrestleManias, headlined pay-per-views, massive stars in the business, as big as any of their male stars, with maybe the exception of Roman Reigns, but that's only because Roman Reigns right now is the man in WWE. Yeah. Um there's you know, they have a hugely deep star power roster. And this is where I think I give AEW a little bit of a pass is that they are in the business of trying to build stars where they didn't need to do that with the men's roster. With the men's roster, you could just present Jericho versus Omega or Jericho versus Moxley or Moxley versus Cody or whatever cold because they already were stars. They were already there. They were already massive stars. And they have added to that with other guys that are already stars. You know, so they they they, they haven't got that problem. In the in the um AW women's roster, they haven't got any really heavily recognized stars and they've had to build and the one star they've got at the moment, Britt Baker, has entirely been built from the ground up within AEW. Yeah. By I'm not saying she came from AEW. I'm just saying that basically she when right. she was first there, no one really had ever heard of her. Now she's one of the biggest stars in the company. But now they've got to figure out how to make the second one and the third one. And that just takes a little bit more time. So I think yeah. that's part of the issue here is that they didn't have those stars that were just already recognized by everybody. Um, mm. What I think they should do is now look at what WWE have released and go, right, well, the Iconics and Ruby Riot would be instantly valuable to us um, because they're already got that star power. They're already recognized by lots of people and they would create a buzz coming in. And what Britt Baker really needs now to cement her status is some other stars to wrestle. And at the moment, she's she's struggling. She hasn't really got them. You okay, Ben? Yeah. So where did you lose me? You go as far as struggling. What did I say before that? I was talking she was really, she, like, she was, she's really struggling. You're talking about Ruby Riot, and you're talking about um, yeah, that, yeah. That was the end of my, that was the end of my sentence. Okay, sorry, I do apologise. I'm just going to leave a big gap <laughs> here for a second before I respond. It's just because you, it's because the end no. of the word cut sounded like you got more to say. No, I just said all I said was um, that they need to bring. I, I would, they would be the first I go to is bring the Ruby Riot and the Iconics in. Mm-hmm. Because she needs some stars to face, and she—that's where she's really struggling. Because there are no other stars. Okay. 
Funny you should mention that, because Ruby Soho released a video this morning. Yes, uh, I saw that. And uh, she showed <laughs> going into a bar, showing her old idea of Heidi Lovelace. Oh, no, here's my new one, which was really, really funny. Uh, because also, AEW's core roster are all ex-Shikara people. And, of course, Ruby Soho, or Heidi Lovelace as she was known, was a core Shikara person. She was grand champion, I think. But she certainly was a champion in a couple of the associated Shikara promotions. So I think... As she is a creative entity and she's well known amongst the roster and well liked among the roster, she is the ideal person to help make this roster work and get them over as superstars, which is, I think that's the issue, isn't it? Whether it's Akira Shida or whether it's Britt Baker, you still have to make them a star. And yeah. they've done well with what they've done, but, you know, Hikura Shida in AEW doesn't look like the star she looks like in Oz Academy, if that makes sense. You know, in a home promotion in Japan, she is a superstar, which she doesn't look that way in AEW because they've not exposed her in the way that they needed to. And yes, with American signing star talent, I think you're right. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I don't want to, like, I, I I think, and I don't want to belittle that, the, 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 the success those people have had elsewhere. But as I say, like, to get them, to give them lots of TV time, they already need to be stars. Like, it takes... And otherwise, it takes a lot of time. And mm. so you've got Britt Baker, who's been out there, you know, and only in the last sort of three, four, three, four months have they been in a position where they can just say, right, Britt Baker's going to appear because now she is a star. They've created her into a star. What she, in, in fairness, what she's done has made her a star. But, you know, in terms of the slow way that they've gradually introduced the audience to who she is. And now, and and then it goes pop, and then suddenly now you can present them as a star. But she needs some opponents, and just having you know a, a, another woman who happens to be very successful elsewhere, but not on any kind of a grand stage, is not going to cut it. They need people that almost arouse a similar reception to Britt Baker mm-hmm. to go up against Britt Baker to make them the focus of the of the shows. So that's why I'm kind of advocating that they bring in. The likes of Ruby Riot, the, li- the likes of the Iconics, because these people have a large fan base already that are big, way bigger than any of the other talents you've just talked spoken about, simply mm. because they were in WWE. And I know that's that that's unfortunate, and I know that's perhaps distasteful to some people, but that's just that's just the nature of the beast. That's why independent promotions the world over bring in for recently released WWE talent because they they have a following. They people know who they are. This is the thing. It's just I had this argument with somebody the other day. They were like, "Oh, I'm, and it's a, you do realize like wrestling revolves around people coming from other companies because they're the ones that have the experience to make it work and the exposure and the talent." And he was said, "I'm getting the territories are dead. Vince has done the right thing." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> but it's like you've 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 now reached the point of WWE and AEW uber fan that cannot possibly see anything wrong with anything that Vince or Tony Khan's done. But they they, they, they are not worth bothering with. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> to the uh, the pro wrestling cockroach, if you will, of the wrestling business, Impact Wrestling, which will truly never, ever die, no matter how <laughs> bad they are. Because, you know, they've been dreadful in the last seven years. And we, me and Marcus have, by gum, have we chronicled how bad they could possibly get to the point where even me and Marcus 
who will watch anything and be nice about it, just stop watching because we couldn't stand it any longer. <laughs> um, but having said that, in the last 12 to 18 months, they have managed to produce a very watchable TV program that looked polished. Un in my mind, I have no idea why they did this. They were the only company to put crowd effect noises on their COVID shows, which I guess made them unique, but it was stupid because everybody you knew no one was there. But there you go. That was the only thing that kind of like really struck me as bad, bad. But Impact has been, well, it's, it just keeps surviving, doesn't it? <laughs> well, what, 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 in fairness, the WWE did that in the end. They just didn't at first, but they eventually started doing it. Um, and then they had the Thunderdome. Mm. Um, but then, to be honest, even then they were piping in the noise because I don't believe the Thunderdome videos were actually live. So basically, you were just seeing recorded videos of people watching the show <laughs> with crowd noise. So, um, yeah, in fairness to Impact, they weren't the only ones doing it. Okay, then, fair enough. What do you think of Impact Wrestling and its position in the industry now? Because obviously, for the longest time, it was second banana in the United States market. And then around about four years ago, it was a toss-up whether it was Ring of Honor or Impact Wrestling on a week-to-week -week basis. And then quite clearly, they've put in possibly third or fourth place, but they still make good wrestling programs. Have they found the actual perfect marketing because they're just a content producer? They don't have to make money. Or am I off the tree there? I don't think you're off the tree. I, I, I find it fascinating impact now um i watched it a little bit towards the beginning of the year it was still on channel five or it was being shown on my five anyway mm. and um but now it's not now you have to pay for it unfortunately to even watch impact which is very uh, annoying um <laughs> in this country just recently they changed that um so you actually now have to pay like i don't know it's something like 99 pence a, a day or something a, a month or something like that it's crazy um but i do find it fascinating because as you say like they just won't die they just won't go away and probably should have done a long time ago but what you've got now is even though you've got all the title lineage and the sort of history and all the you know, and all the content of course from tna is it it's an entirely different company it's owned by different people it's run by different people it's even called something different than it used to be called um it doesn't have any um, pretensions to be anything other than just a straight television show once a week produced uh, probably a relatively low amount of money but still looks okay still looks pretty decent in terms of production values and they've cobbled together a roster the really weird roster of actually some surprisingly good young indie talent combined with in fairness to them probably the only wrestlers that they could get that were arguably stars of any kind mm. um when you when you factor in of course the ones that wwe will take and then the ones that AEW will take the only people that were left were the ones that were questionable if you like so you've got rich one and <laughs> tjp and people like that who are incredibly talented but very questionable signings that you know a bigger company perhaps would never need to do won't sign them but they've signed them because they were like well we, we need somebody of who people will recognize and so they've gone for for those guys um combine and then they've also combined that with sort of some really old like tommy dreamer obviously still on the roster at 50 years old um <laughs> and i think i've seen odb still around the place now and again and and eric young james storm and these kinds of guys and it's not bad. It's not bad. I, the stuff I watched earlier in the year, I thought was well, 
built towards their their first pay-per-view of the year or maybe their second i'm not sure um it was it was sensible it was quite straightforward it reminded me quite a lot of nxt when nxt was just at full sale um yeah, yeah. like it was really simple storylines I mean, maybe a little bit different because it's two hours, still two hours long. And so the matches for me still last a bit too long on their weekly show. Like it's very straight. It's kind of right. We're going to have six matches. They're all going to last about 10 minutes. Um, and some of them aren't really going to have any reason to happen. Some of them are going to be, uh, we're not, you know, we're not going to go massively deep into who, you know, the rankings or whatever. We are going to present number one contenders matches all the time, which is always a trope that Impact used to have in the past <laughs> as well. And the other thing that they do is still do like an X Division match at the beginning of every single show, and they're still doing loads and loads of high spots. And to me, that's a little bit of a shame because I think it's the one thing. Well, maybe maybe they need something to link it back to the original TNA, and that's probably the best thing they can link it back to. But for me, that got very tired um, in Impact in general. Personally, I found that to be very tired. But yeah, I, I said, I, I mean, some of the talents, um, Chris Bay and Josh Alexander in particular, really impressed me when I saw some of the stuff they were doing. Um, I believe Josh Alexander is now the X Division champion. Um, yeah. And I, I just thought, you know what, like fair play to them. And I also think that the deal that they've done with AEW has actually worked out pretty well for them because it's not like they're competing. They know they're not competing. <laughs> with AEW or WWE anymore. So what they've done is they're going, well, you know what? We'll have a bit of that buzz. We will we will have Kenny Omega come onto our shows and headline a couple of our pay-per-views. And now presumably they'll do the same with Christian now that he's the impact champion. Um and get a little bit of a buzz, get a few more pay-per-view buy buys than we would have probably got without them. And yes, yeah, it's, it's working all right. I I as I said, I think it's a watchable show. It is a watchable show, which is just I, I never expected to say that about Impact no, Wrestling. <laughs> I, think, Again. I, think, I think this is the thing is that, you know, it's also a mixed bag of quality stuff. You know, if you don't like men's division, which I'm not particularly keen on, the tag division's really good. Uh, well, I say really good. The tag division's competent, but it's got exciting stuff happening in it. I do wish they'd stop putting three-way tag matches together, but that's just me. The women's division is excellent and outstanding. It's certainly the best thing about the company and consistently the best thing about the cost of company as well because their roster's packed and they're really good. Um, and I think that's it. You know, there's the, there's plenty there for people to like in a two-hour show. You you know, it, it's kind of like wrestling used to be in that sense. Um, and, yeah, it's presented well and it's slick. And, you know, you I think as well, the rehabilitation of Matt Cardona is a good example. Like... GCW fans wouldn't hate him as much if he wasn't as so good on impact, if that makes sense. Like getting fired from the WWE is one thing, but parlaying that character into a watchable TV existence every week again was another thing that he's done really well over the last 12 months, which means the GCW fans hate him. He's got a full-time job and he does corporate wrestling still. And that's what's made him so over as a GCW champion which is a completely different style of wrestling and not that easy to understand when you've come from the corporate world. So, yeah, I think they've done some interesting stuff. Myself, Marcus, Dara, and um, who else was there? Oh, it was John. We, we discussed Slammiversary and we were slightly, well, awfully concerned about the fact that all of the guests that were on the show seemed to take over the show. So at the end of the show, you had 
a tag team that wanted to be in a New Japan faction that the boss of the New Japan faction didn't want them to be in because they were past it, um, who was challenging an AEW wrestler for the Impact Championship, which was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, since then, the actual content of the show has been much more calmed down. And I think this is, you know, I hate the phrase forbidden door because it's been overused, but AEW, sorry, Impact have probably used it better in the long run by getting little sprinkles of it rather than big invasion angles, which don't necessarily work because they can only work once. Whereas no, agreed. No, agree, absolutely agreed. Like I think, look, Impact also have, have been quite um, clever in knowing that they're never going to make a, a star. You're never going to make a star in Impact. You will, no. you will find wrestlers like Josh Alexander, for example, who are good wrestlers and will potentially go on to something else. But Impact's not big enough to create a star out of him or anybody else for that matter. You know, so yeah. for example, you know, Fire and Flavor, for example, if you're going to take them as an example, like they might this might surface those people to people in AEW and WWE would be looking at them going, yeah, I quite like them. We'll bring them in, but they're not going to make a star out of them. So what they've gone is, you know what, we'll bring some stars to us and we won't care so much. We don't need to worry about creating our own stars. We'll bring in Kenny Omega and he'll be champion. We'll bring in Christine Cage and he'll be champion. We'll bring in, they've obviously had the two from New Japan who were tag team champions for a bit. We'll bring them in. They can be our tag team champions for a bit. Like it won't, it's not going to impact them because they can still, they, they're just by putting them in the ring. So just by putting Kenny Omega in the ring, for example, with Moose, it elevates Moose because it's a far bigger star. Um, so I, I think it's been, I think it's been really interesting. I just was looking at the roster because I forgot about Mark, Matt Cardona, but you're right. The fact that he's playing a role of any, like this is the kind of wrestler that impact have got to sign because Cardona getting sacked by WWE. He's not AEW aren't going to pick him up, are they? Let's be let's be honest no. about it. Same no. with um same with what's his name? Just Brian Myers. Same just thing. There. And Cody's his best mate and they won't hire him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. There's no knock on Cardona's talent for what he does, but he's just not an AEW wrestler. Yeah, he's not. He's not. He's never going to be picked up. Them. Nor is Brian Myers. Same. Same no. thing. Former WWE guy. Nor is you know. For example, um, they brought in bloody big cast, didn't they? As well. He's yeah. never going to get signed by AEW. But they're they're picking these guys up because they're experienced, relatively decent guys who can come in, do a job on a television show, which is ultimately what Impact Wrestling is. So they've combined those kinds of guys with, as I said, kind of some of those former impact stalwarts you know hernandez i think he's on the roster and you know you've got um as i say before um buddy eric young still around eddie edwards still around pete williams has come back yeah you know all those kinds of guys with a, a decent as you said decent female roster with which again it's got a lot of individuals on it a lot of lot of wrestlers involved in that i said it's, it's a funny one i i find it quite um I find it quite endearing, actually, that, that this 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 product is out there, and that there are a lot of people involved that are really working hard to make it quite fun and mm. make it different as well. Like to try and find a a gap in the market where between WWE, Ring of Honor, uh, and AEW, <laughs> and you can still <laughs> find a gap in the market. I think is 
is quite impressive. And the, and they and the fact they can even find a roster, they can cobble together this roster of kind of just the the cast offs and stowaways from various different places. I just I do find it quite endearing. It's 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 an interesting. Okay. One. I mean, I think it's like Diana Perazzo is my kind of favorite in Impact Wrestling, but it she was always the workhorse she was the person that got everybody else over she wrestled for wwe ring of honor and impact within the space of six weeks just doing you know essentially enhancement matches early in her career and i don't understand why wwe couldn't find a place for her because she can do everything you know a wrestler can do she's trained by rip rogers kind of coaching tree she's got everything under her belt she can approach it in any way you want to and Essentially, Impact Wrestling said, all right, then do what you want. And she's looked like a superstar since the moment she walked in the company and she's done it the right way and she looks amazing. Now, whether that translates into AEW later in her career, I hope it does because I think that's the kind of wrestler that AEW need to make the roster work, not necessarily from a star power point of view, but from a workhorse point of view to get people over. Um, And it's like, it is the old ECW, FMW you present the people you can get <laughs> not necessarily the people that you want yes that's that is it they are definitely <laughs> they're definitely um giving people the the only roster that they could possibly bring together because uh it's it's a funny it's just i say most of these people will, will go somewhere else the one there's one other person on the roster that i thought was really interesting who just came in when i kind of last watched it was um that black Taurus guy from yes. from mexico yeah. amazing i thought that was a great addition oh, awesome. i was like that's a good addition yeah. to his roster he's yeah. um he we actually we actually reviewed three of his matches in the space of two weeks on two different cards because right. he, he wrestled twice on triple mania a because triple may triple a have a deal a licensing deal with marvel to do lucha marvel and i he wrestled as the character that's supposed to represent uh thanos which I thought was really cool. And then he also wrestled as Black Taurus on Triple Mania uh, in the tag title match, I think. And also he was in he was on uh, the Emergence as well. So he's, he's pretty busy, but Black Taurus is ace. But again, that's uh, a thing, impact of that talent deal with Triple A, which I don't think they exploit enough, to be honest with you. You, know, you get Murder Clown once every couple of years, drops by for a TV taping or two and then disappears again. And I think they could probably get more out of it. But it, they've only got so much time to put people on TV, and they've got people who they pay money to. So, you know, it's 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 one of those things, isn't it? The, they've, in one sense, they've got too many people to play with, because <laughs> they've always got options. So, but that's that's what Impact's kind of been about. It, even back in the day, it was kind of a nodal point of like different promotions having working agreements and coming in, and they still rely on that to pop a show every once in a while. And I think that's good. Um, and again, they've used that with AEW and New Japan. Um, so I suppose we best talk about New Japan, really, the, the <laughs> next, next national progression, because it's been an interesting couple of years recently, but the last 12 months have essentially been a disaster. But let's talk about the previous six years, because everything up until the last 12 months was pretty damn good. <laughs> you had the expansion of the company from Wrestle Kingdom, Wrestle Kingdom 9 onwards into the US market. Uh, you had the worldwide impact of the New Japan World uh, subscription service. 
it became much more easier to watch the company. They started touring in more countries. They developed a permanent presence in North America, which they tried in the early 2000s, and it didn't quite work out. And now it looks like a solid enterprise with a dojo and a TV show, and everything seems to be working well for them. Their issues over the last 12 months have been well documented, but a lot of that has to do with their embracing of gaging talent, which wrestling companies in Japan just couldn't afford to do in the early 2010s, and the development of the Bullet Club storyline and how it's impacted wrestling promotions across the world, as well as the Los Ignorables storyline, which again impacted wrestling companies across the world. So it's been a really interesting most of the decade for New Japan Pro Wrestling. What's your thoughts on their current status and how they've grown in that time? I think that New Japan is in a dangerous place at this point in time. Mm. Because, first of all, obviously, the um, COVID restrictions in Japan are heavier than they are in America for a start. So that means they just don't have the same... They can't fill up their arenas, for example. Even now, I don't believe they can fill up arenas. No. Um, obviously, we just seen the Olympic Games in Tokyo, and they couldn't like they had nobody there basically, which was a real shame. And it's back to this isn't as good, quite frankly, as having people in the arenas. It's just not. It's just, <laughs> it doesn't matter how good what you see in the ring is, you you take the fans away. It's just no point in this thing. Um, but the other thing that New Japan had a problem with because of COVID is that unlike all the three American companies we've just talked about, they didn't have a they didn't have that rhythm of weekly television. Mm. um shows so all of those other companies could just be like well you know we can't we there's no need to do house shows obviously we can't do them there's no point but we we can continue to do our weekly television show once a week which is where we get all of our exposure anyway is what all that anybody expects us to do really so we can continue to do that um new japan and all, all the japanese promotions really aren't in that that mold they don't have that 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 um sequencing that uh Mm. that lovely rhythm to the to the way that they go so as a consequence that wasn't really open to them and they also i think that they're i remember in 2016 being down on new japan simply because there was too much gauging wrestlers in there just i was like limit this more to more i just want i haven't come to watch new japan to watch guys that used to be in wwe or are now stars having got through new japan's um hierarchy like kenny omega you know and they were featuring chris jericho really heavily and they brought in cody and they brought in you know john moxley and all this and i was just like it's too much like most of these guys i've seen in wwe they don't come here to watch them i come here to watch you know um ibushi and and ishii and all these other guys so that was a real downer for me and i think that they're paying for it now Mm. because first of all obviously uh omega and the young bucks went off and became a key part of AEW. Um, but also that, even if AEW hadn't formed, spotlighting those American guys, especially Omega and the Young Bucks so much, always threatened for them to go to WWE at some point. We saw Nakamura go to WWE, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you can say what you want about certain talents never not being interested in going there, but ultimately, if the money was right in the end, they, they would have ended up in WWE, I think. I was always worried about that, and I thought... They New Japan should have seen Nakamura in WWE and realized it didn't really work for them. They're not going to want to sign a lot more headlining Japanese stars because it's not really worked out with Nakamura, who is arguably the most likely Japanese wrestler to make it big in WWE. Yeah. Um, 
And so I would have gone back to the well much more at that point and said, right, let's, let's, let's really spotlight these Japanese guys. And now it's too late because all the big American guys that they were would be able to sort of hang off them and, and create those stars, help create those stars and news to those people kind of gone, have gone and formed another company. Um, and obviously as well, like they, they obviously invested a lot in Will Ospreay, but that's blown up in their face somewhat in two ways, <laughs> two different ways. One of them being that he got injured just as they made him champion. The other one being that obviously he's been kind of caught up in the whole uh, speaking out movement. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think they've made some mistakes there. I think they need to get back to just concentrate on their homegrown talent, which is what I think is unique to their presentation and what they do. And I think when you start mixing in as they did so regularly, these American stars and and spotlighting spotlighting them and featuring them in major spots on the card, it it wasn't really for me anymore. Um, and also, yes, they're not doing. They've got a little bit of a foothold in North America, but a large part of that, I would imagine, has fallen away because of AEW as well. There were an awful lot of people. I know that, you know, when people started watching Wrestle Kingdom in the UK and USA and that, um, lots of people were talking about. Oh, I really liked the AJ Styles match. I remember when obviously he faced yeah, yeah. Um, Nakamura, um, or I really liked the Jericho match, or I really liked the Moxie match. You're like. Come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't just be watching New Japan so you can see the same guys you've seen all before. But it does did appear that a lot or a high percentage of people were feeling that way. And now they've gone. Like I can see a huge amount of those numbers also kind of, you know, we're not we're not that interested now. We've got AEW and that that pretty much fulfills what we need that New Japan was providing us that that we weren't getting, for example, from WWE. So yeah, I, I don't know. I I think they're in a bit of a tricky place. It also seems to me, and I haven't watched New Japan in a long time, but I know that you've kind of gone off the product quite spectacularly over the last year or so. I've seen a couple of other people that I know who watch New Japan regularly say similar things about how they're feeling about New Japan. Some of them are kind of mixed up in the fact that fans aren't still really in the buildings, and so it's too quiet, and it's just not got the atmosphere it's supposed to have. Um, but also... Um, it just feels like I read the results. And I'm like, who are these people? I don't even know who they are. I don't even know. Like, why is evil the world champion? What's going on? Like, yeah. this doesn't, is it world champion? Is, is it world champion? I think it is, isn't it? They've changed. Uh, I think this is, that. yeah, this is the issue as well. It's like the, it was literally up until COVID. I wouldn't have, I would have given credence to what you just said, but I would still say that New Japan was still heading in the right direction and they'd filled the gaps they certainly filled the gaps with the first great exodus with Nakamura and Styles and and, and Doc and Gallows, uh, Doc Gallows and uh, and uh, Kyle Anderson, and they'd started to make build momentum around that, and they'd kind of started to get you know Jay White was looking really good as a replacement for Kenny Omega, and those kind of things were working well, but as soon as COVID hit, and they were stuck with half their roster in New Zealand or in America or no way of getting to Japan, they started off okay because the TV wrestling that they did, the events they did with no audience were actually some of the best things that were going at the time, but the long-term long -term storytelling just fell off the rails. We don't have Jay White leading Bullet Club. Oh, we needed the big star in Bullet Club. Oh, we'll get Evil to do it because that would be a cool story, which Evil turning on Los, Los Ignorables is a three-year story. That's not something you just do in a couple of weeks, you know, and it, it hurt Evil, and Evil was still yet to find a character He's not the wrestler he was three years ago. Not because he's had physical injury. 
It's just his character just doesn't fit in Bullet Club. He doesn't fit in Bullet Club. It's a square peg in a round hole. And then you get through all of that mess and you get through a G1 that was exceptionally good quality, but was still a bit scrappy. And Ibushi wins both titles. And they want to merge the championships and they use Ibushi as that vessel. Um, and he says he wants to no longer defend the Intercontinental Championship. He wants to create a, a unified championship. Well, that Intercontinental Championship means an awful lot to the fans. That's MVP's championships. That's Nakamura's championships. You're like, you're getting rid of their legacy and the fans weren't happy with it. And that ruins Ibushi because he's the big baby face and savior of the company that's beaten Jay White at Wrestle Kingdom and all of these things. If you teach people to believe in your narratives then you can't blame them when they take it seriously. And uh, Issa, who's on Twitter, she's a photographer, and she's actually she's based in Japan. And, uh, she's a, a service woman. She works for the U.S. Army. She's a soldier. And she takes she, this weekend she was taking loads of pictures of the DDT shows, and she said exactly the right thing. So we have these championships, but DDT boy doesn't want them anymore. And that's that's it. It's like here comes a guy from DDT and just destroys your company and destroys your championships. But he's supposed to be the big baby face. And then you put then you put um, uh, injury onto injury by having Osprey be the next champion, <laughs> which is just like so. The the Japanese fans were pissed off because Ibushi had destroyed the championship. The European fans were pissed off because Osprey had won the championship because you know of as you said all the horror. So it it seemed like their momentum just came to a crashing halt in the spring. And I still don't think, as much as Shingo Takagi has had some cracking matches as champion, I don't think we've got that momentum back yet. They have a bit, but it's not... I'm not rolling into the G1 next month really looking at it. I'm looking at the N1 and going, ooh, no one looks good this year. You know? I, I, think the, I think the thing with Shingo Takagi, I have never seen him wrestle, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm saying this as somebody who is... One of the people, one of the numbers of people, of people I knew as well, that tuned into WrestleMania 10 and, uh, sorry, Wrestle, Wrestle Kingdom 10, <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom 11, et cetera, 2015, 2016, whatever. And you're looking at it and going, who's this? Yeah. Where, where are all those guys that were really cool on the undercard who should have replaced Nakamura and maybe Tanahashi because he's getting on a bit? Where are they? Like, where's, where's, you know, where are they? Where's Ishii? Where, why isn't he the champion? <laughs> like, I know this is really kind of, I don't know how New Japan books. I don't really get the way that it works, really. I haven't got that history built up in terms of how New Japan yeah. book the way, you know, who how they raised up certain stars and whatnot. But I'm just like, this guy's come out of nowhere. I don't even know who he is. And also, already, this is a company that's quite difficult to get on board with, I think, if you are heavily American wrestling-based. And you, that's what you've been brought up watching. And you've now got to a point where the champion I've never heard of, the previous champion I have heard of, but was like a... a, a, a even if I, <laughs> even, even if I ignore the pariah yeah. status, was um, a member of the junior heavyweight division the last time I watched New Japan. Yeah. And, and then the champion... What, I'm sure... What, am I wrong in thinking Evil was champion at one point? Uh, it... Takagi's current champion, who was also junior heavyweight, uh, Will Ospreay was previous champion, was also junior heavyweight. Ibushi, who was also junior heavyweight. Before Ibushi, it was Jay White, who wasn't the junior heavyweight, but he's the only, he was the last homegrown New Japan talent. Uh, before that, it was NATO. Sorry, not Jay White, it was NATO, 
he was the homegrown New Japan talent before NATO. Yeah. yeah. So it's been there's been three champions, yeah. New Japan guys who've held the championship. So you've had right. well, five champions in the last eighteen months, really. Yeah, and I just I think you know for me it was kind of like I just don't feel like I don't feel like they they've got the stars at the moment that would attract me to watch New Japan. Yeah, and. So I, I imagine people who are really into New Japan are still kind of with it because they were and Japanese wrestling because they'll know who these people are. And there'll be a certain degree of um, acceptance that they've been booked into main event slots and deserve to be there in some cases, maybe not all of them. But from a from a casual viewer's perspective, I'm looking at it going, I don't, I have no interest in watching that. That doesn't doesn't interest me whatsoever. Um, like even like I'm like I'm even kind of like, where's Tanahashi? I know he's I know he's getting on, but Surely, when you are in a position where you're losing, you've lost a lot of stars, you've had to kind of elevate people that are perhaps not ready or are not at that level, you surely just bring someone back at that level that you can rely on. Maybe he's injured, I don't know. But, you know, it's it just doesn't feel like a a product right now that I have any interest in following because of who's or who's not on top, I guess, is the, is the truth. Where's Okada? <laughs> is he injured? <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, Tanahashi just beat Lance Archer for the IWGP US Heavyweight Championship, and they're building to a big feud with John Moxley. So that that's reasonable. And Jay White is never openweight champion. You know, he's, he's the best heel they've got, and he's the best in, I, I'd say he's the best heel in the industry. So they have got the star talent there, but again, they're not around the title. Okada hasn't been involved in the championship picture for 18 months. I think basically he took a back seat to give NATO a chance to actually get some traction going forward. But NATO, who is essentially held together with sticky plaster and hope most of the time, again, you know, he's he's not done, but he can't walk properly. You know, he spent most of 2019 legally half blind. You know, it, it's it, they have to, they do have to make new stars and they do have to build new guys up. But it, you know, it becomes trickier when you've kind of booked yourself into corners so many times in the space of twelve months and bodged like one push. And then again, it's like the New Japan guys aren't getting any traction because all the non-New Japan guys are in charge, like you said. You know, like. I love Shingo Takagi, but I can understand completely why someone who has not religiously watched Dragon Gate for the last 20 years <laughs> doesn't know who he is. Which know. is, by the way, the vast majority of people who watch <laughs> You know, like the vast majority of people, honestly, the va- like I'd say, I'd go as far as say 99% of people who who are even potentially wrestling fans have never watched a Dragon Gate show in their life. <laughs> Um, I've only watched that, about three, so you know. Well, it's probably even less than I know. So, but you know, yeah. you know, like it's just, it's just that it just doesn't feel like there's a buzz around it. It feels that like the people who, as I said, it feels that like the people who really like it aren't advocating for it at the moment because they don't think it's particularly good. It feels like the stars that perhaps were introduced to that North American crowd, that more casual crowd, when. Wrestle Kingdom started to become opened up to a more international audience. They're not there anymore, or if they are, they're not in playing in such important roles as they were at that time. And so you're kind of left going, "What? Well, you know, what was that for?" Because I don't, I don't, I think if you caught, cottoned on a little bit to New Japan, as I kind of did around 2016 for a bit, mm. um, you won't. You look back and go, 
you know, I'm trying to reintegrate myself into watching wrestling. There's nothing there for me. There's just nothing there for me that I'm interested in. So I also think, look, why are they not killed off the Bullet Club? Isn't it about time they just got rid of the Bullet Club? Like, what is the point in the Bullet Club when all the biggest stars have gone from it and you have to keep replacing the main man with increasingly less linked to the Bullet Club over from a historical perspective as you go? Um, I just feel like it's run its course. It's not, I can't even think of it as being cool anymore. <laughs> I think, I mean, it certainly had a strong impact, if you'll pardon the pun, on Impact Wrestling when Jay White went there. Um, and I think, judging by the reaction he got on the LA show recently, he's still the most over guy they've got as leader of Bullet Club. And historically, he is linked because he was hand-pinked by Prince Devitt and um, Bad Luck Farley to be the eventual leader of Bullet Club. There was this like theory that Devitt still controls Bullet Club from from WWE, which is hilarious, <laughs> like in storyline terms. So Devitt told White to take over Bullet Club from Kenny Omega, and that's why the Elite got kicked out. Um, but I, it's just the way Japanese factions work. Chaos was Nakamura's faction. The chaos still goes still goes on. You know, I think it's fifteen yeah. years now. So well, that's I get just, that. Yeah, I get that, but but I mean, if it, yeah, I mean, I get it, but I just feel like, I don't know, maybe again, maybe I'm just not understanding the Japanese business. But for me, people, the the comparison people were making to Bullet Club five, six, seven years ago was kind of Japanese version of the NWO. It was really cool, yeah. really happy, really hot. Well, the NWA well, the NWO well stayed out its outstayed its welcome, and I feel like that's what's happened with the Bullet Club. I don't think I think again if you're if your effort is to increase your exposure in North America, for example, or to Western audiences, presenting something to them that has been around for flipping ever now, it does feel like it's been around <laughs> forever. Just ain't cool anymore. Or I think get, get rid of it. I think this. <laughs> I mean, my, that's my. That was why. That's my. <laughs> I think this. I think as well. But they produced one new faction in the last eight years, and that's the um empire um united empire there we go you see that's how bad that particular faction is i can't actually remember the name of it or have blocked it out possibly because the fans don't like it they like jeff cobb and they like great okan and they even like toa and the japanese fans like osprey but the, the actual, like, the idea of that as a faction just goes against, well, we have our factions. What do we need more factions for? Oh, LIJ was probably the most popular faction, but you have to have someone to lead a faction and make it stick. Like, LIJ doesn't have tons and tons of people because they have to be friends with NATO, basically. <laughs> you know, the, or it doesn't work. You know, he doesn't. Shingo Takagi is in Los, Los Ignorables, and he doesn't really get on with NATO. But he trained with Evil, and he trained with, uh, you know, I think he he was friends with Hiromu at some point in his career. So that's the way that's the way it works. But it's you know one of the reasons why United Empire is kind of like grinding is because it's a bunch of mercenaries and there's no story there there's no friendship there that's what japanese fans like but that plays into the issue of it becomes complicated you know um and american fans haven't necessarily got the they don't appreciate wrestling in that way because well, I, I hate to use the phrase have short attention spans because they don't but they don't appreciate mainstream fans don't appreciate the same way the japanese fans will well i, I guess 
the way the way I was feeling about it is because you said that when Jay White got injured, they had somebody else take over the Bullet Club, right? Who didn't fit. Yeah, evil. Yeah. So at that point, I'm like, fine. If Jay White's not available, just have them go away. Just just have them go away, even if it's for <laughs> a little while whilst they wait for Jay White to get fit again. Yeah. Um, and then bring them back in a big way. That would make much more sense. But just, you know, it, that is, for me, that is as bad as booking as anything WWE does. Just, oh, we'll just shove someone else in as the new leader. It just doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. It just doesn't, it's not a, that's not good booking in my view. It's not good storytelling in my view. There's nothing about that that screams, oh, I must watch this now because this guy who doesn't fit in this faction is now the leader of it. Yeah. What's that about? I mean, it's also as well, it's like, Bullet Club's entire modus operandi is based on Gaijin's complaining about treatment from New Japan Pro Wrestling. They all band together to, you know, stop themselves being bullied or put down by New Japan Pro Wrestling. That doesn't work when the entire roster you see on the Japanese show are all Japanese. Mm. You know, there was Evil, there was they brought in Dick Togo, who's a great signing. He's a brilliant, brilliant manager and one of the best wrestlers of the last 50 years. However, <laughs> It doesn't fit in this particular scenario necessarily. And he's a big cartoon comedy wrestler, and Bullet Club's supposed to be slightly serious. You know, it's, there's a darker edge to it that's kind of missing when Evil and Dick Togo are there. But I think that's the issue. And the other thing as well, the New Japan's biggest issue, I think, is Cyberfight. Um, Noah, DDT, and Tokyo Joshi Pro, as well as a couple of other promotions, all come under the same umbrella. And they outdraw New Japan at Budokan Hall. And they outdraw New Japan at stadium shows this year. And they have the kind of cachet that New Japan used to have three or four years ago. And the online buzz is more with them than it is with New Japan Pro Wrestling. I think people are getting into nowhere again because, you know, they've made some big signings. They got the great Muta back, the push Marafuji. <laughs> you know, they've really... I know you laugh because he's nearly sick. Impact, Impact Wrestling signed Tommy Jr. last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but people want to see I, it. Sorry, I know, I know it's the great Muta. I know he's he's not Tommy Dreamer. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> for fuck's sake, like if you're if Japanese wrestling is reliant on someone to sign the great Muta in 2021, <laughs> then it's fucked. I'm telling you, it's fucked. It's done. <laughs> it's time to go home. But <laughs> they had a chat. He had, a, and you're you're going to hate this. He had a championship run which filled arenas everywhere he went because it was clearly going to be his last run. And, you know, people started showing interest again and they've done it the right way. They've built, um, they had their first cage match this year. They had a gimmick match this year, a hair versus hair cage match, you know, and then DDT, which was the bigger company of the two men's wrestling companies anyway. And it's comedy wrestling, you know, it is essentially what Shikara was to American fans even sillier but they again Yonakiyama who's 54 not a young guy and before that they got uh, Minoru Tanaka you know even older guy but they built the championship around them they gave them long runs and they had great matches with their younger talent which means Takeshita who's the current champion who beat Yonakiyama beat a legend in a great match and it's made the company seem much more vital so DDT and Noah and Tokyo Joshi Pro which again has uh, probably one of the tightest rosters in Joshi. They've got this platform that's working together and they're making a real go of the idea that New Japan isn't the only show in town when it comes to Japanese wrestling that can appeal to an international audience. 
and it's not gauging heavy like you said you know there are relatable japanese characters that that people want to go see the only gauging on the ddt roster is chris brooks from telford (laughs) and he's he essentially is an ideal Japanese wrestler. He loves Japanese wrestling. He's a massive fan of Japanese wrestling. And they trusted that much he produces his own shows for DDT now. You know, and I they think, give it... Go, I, Yeah, I, I, I like... I mean, I'm partially I'm playing the heel, James, because I know your audience is massively into Japanese wrestling. And uh, <laughs> this is it's a clear... It's, it's a massive focus for your show. Um, but there is, a, there is an element to this where I am quite serious, which is that... There just doesn't appear to be any buzz around Japanese wrestling from the outside. I'm sure watching it, there are things that you that are interesting and that have, have caught fire a little bit within the fandom, if you like. Yeah. But but outside that fandom, I'm not hearing about this. I'm not seeing this stuff. I'm not being exposed to it. I'm not being encouraged to be exposed to it by anything I'm seeing or anybody that's saying stuff about it. Uh, it feels very much like the the whole thing which is actually i think it's been a problem for pro wrestling in general not just japanese wrestling which is more and more are playing to the crowd we've already got as opposed to a crowd that we're trying to build with yeah um, and so to, so that's a big concern for me and i think i think it's good that new japan and any other japanese promotion what i think they should be doing is going back to concentrate on how they get the most out of their their domestic audience mm. first and if that then catches fire with other people around the world great so be it that's brilliant but that shouldn't be their primary focus and i feel like there was a time when it did become their primary focus and yeah that was a mistake that's where i think they made the mistake that's where i would say in the past seven years new japan in particular have made the mistake of just going too far to try and attract that american audience or that british audience or canadian audience or whatever um and and kind of probably neglected their domestic audience a bit i think that's been the issue there was a lot of angles during the covid period that were trying to solidify an audience that couldn't go see matches you know a lot of a lot of mainstream fans and it was the point where they switched off were like this doesn't make any sense it makes sense to japanese audiences and they were trying to solidify that market. But what makes sense for a Japanese audience doesn't necessarily make sense for a worldwide audience. And I think that's what Cyberfight have done is they've just kind of like, they've reestablished a base for Noah because Noah was, when they bought Noah, it wasn't doing particularly well. They've gone back to their history and built upon it and created a fan base for it based around the older fans of Noah. And DDT have kind of like expressed their wider base and they're doing what, you just said they're building their audience to Japan and if they catch anyone else from around the world that's fine it's easy you do a wrestle universe which is the DDT Noah Tokyo Joshi Pro uh, subscription service it's a lot easier to navigate the new Japan world as well and it's stuff like that that brings in the small amount of fans they're not going to shift the same numbers in the worldwide kind of audience that new Japan do but new Japan aren't shifting those numbers either you know, they did that show in L.A., which was just over a thousand people, which is a long way from the Cow Palace. You know, was it three years ago where they did the Cow Palace and got 10,000 people in the Cow Palace for Jay White versus um, uh, Juice Robinson as the title main event? I can't remember. It was like Kenny Omega in the books versus somebody else um, when the Night Bullet Club blew up. You know, that that's... They're not there yet and won't be there for quite some time, and they can't do it without help. But there comes a point where is 
is New Japan helping AEW or is AEW helping AEW with their deal with New Japan? That's the issue, isn't it? You there, Ben? Oh, hiya. No, I was on mute. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to stay on mute for a bit. And then, um, so uh, I was going to say, I don't think, um, <clears throat> I don't think, let me start. Uh, what was I talking about? I don't think that um, AEW, I think now that AEW exists, it's taken all of the fans, mm-hmm. nearly all of them, that were watching New Japan in America anyway. I think, as I say, all the buzz I heard from Western fans who weren't already massively into J- Japanese wrestling was about all oh, that Kenny Omega or isn't Chris Jericho's matches really good? Aren't AJ Styles' matches yeah. really good? You know, it was all about the American guys. And so now Kenny Omega, probably the biggest of those people um, or, the, or the most exclusive, I guess, in terms of having not seen him in America, now that he is AEW's main star, people are watching AEW. Uh, there yeah. will be some that still watch New Japan, but very few. I don't feel like I feel like they've missed they've missed out on that audience. They've lost it now. It would take, and, that, and that's why I feel like if they re, they want any kind of if they want any kind of um, exposure in America, it will have to be to get them to like the Japanese um, the Japanese wrestlers, not the American wrestlers, because they can get the best American wrestlers now in the American promotions. Um, the so I, I don't think, I mean, the, the, the relationship between the two, I just think is about bringing in talent from mm. from either one. I think AEW are using that talent really well. So I think that they've got Kojima, I think, is going up against Moxley um, at at the next pay-per-view. Oh, wow. Yeah, which might even be the, the weekend we're recording this. I can't remember, actually. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, they've got that match. They've had, I can't remember, was, was it Nagata that he fought on Dynamite yeah. months back? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, again, that, what they've done really well with that is they've gone, look, this is just a one-off match on free television. We're bringing in this Japanese wrestling legend. It's something different. It's a, an attraction. It might not even be that the vast majority of AEW fans know who Yuji Nagata is, but it doesn't matter because here's this guy's coming in. We just can tell you he's a Japanese legend. And that'll do. You know, it's a free TV show. We're not we're not selling pay per views with this match. It's just a <laughs> just an attraction. So, um, I uh, I think they're using it well. I don't really know how New Japan are using the the AEW guys. If I'm honest, it's kind of the using them to reestablish the brand in North America because the New Japan does have its weekly US show called New Japan Strong, which is on the New Japan Network on on New Japan World. And they have built one pay-per-view around that, which was the Tanahashi versus Lance Archer, which was the main event of that LA show um, in the, the, brilliantly, not at the LA Coliseum, in the building across the street from the LA Coliseum, which is part of the LA Coliseum project, which I just thought is like, in the LA Coliseum, room. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's that's brilliant. That's great. You're not actually wrestling in the Coliseum. You may have done better than WWE with WrestleMania 7, if you tried, to be honest. so yeah, so they use them for that. Uh, the trouble is with Strong is it's not a TV show. Having said that, it's found its own niche audience and its own niche base because it's used a mix of strong available indie talent that kind of match the New Japan style. They've been very discerning with who they've used, people like uh, Filthy Tom Lawler and Chris Dickinson, who 
if the Bintone in Tokyo would have gone through the dojo system and done all the thing, if you see what I mean, they're strong style wrestlers and they've picked wrestlers who were in the New Japan style uh, and Darren Young. But he seems to be doing quite well and seems to be very happy. Um, and I noticed that actually. Yeah, Darren Young <laughs> doing all right. Yeah, yeah interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they've done that, but it's not a weekly television show. Again, it's limited to the fans of people who already have the uh, role that have New Japan World. In one sense, they're stepping back and building a organic audience rather than the star power audience, which is longer uh, kind of format. But we've gone from the days. I mean, they did the G1 the first night of the G1 in Dallas a couple of years ago, and Okada said, you know, Okada wanted it. It was Okada's thing when he was champion. He was like, I want to go to new places and break new places. And I don't think NATO, as champion, as long-term ace of the company as he was for a couple of years, is that kind of guy. You know, he he's loved in America, and they do love him in North America, but he's not super superstar like he is in Japan, if that makes sense. Okada is the kind of character that will carry across any audience because he's a star whereas nato is a star that's very much based around what a japanese audience wants and i think i don't think it's hurt them in north america but i don't think they've got that star power like you lose omega you can replace him with a card but if you lose omega i don't think you can replace him in nato as far as american audience is concerned does that make sense yeah no yeah definitely definitely i i yeah, I mean, it makes sense perfectly. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it is what it is. It is, it's, hell, I, I do like the fact that they're still all working together. I do like the AEW bringing some of the NWA guys. They've had the Impact guys, obviously, we've spoken about that. Um, and they're using the New Japan guys, and they've obviously got the deal with AAA as well. I like all that. I think it, it helps them out a lot. But um, I don't think it's going to build an audience with anyone. I don't think they, they're going to share audiences. I don't think... AEW fans are going to start watching New Japan because they see one of these guys on their shows. And I don't think that New Japan fans will start watching AEW just because, you know, Kenny Omega turns up or or perhaps yeah. somebody who wasn't in New Japan before but now is an AEW guy. Like I don't I don't see it improving their audience. I just think it gives them more talent. I just think it gives them more talent to use. I think that AEW use it really well because as I said, like I think a few months back they had the NWA women's championship defended. Yeah, yeah. And that's just quite a cool little thing to have to say, right, you know, we've got six matches today and one of them we've, you know, two, we've, in, sorry, we've got six matches next week and one of them is the NWA Women's Championship match with so and so against so and so. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. You know, I, I know why they're wrestling. I understand there's a title at stake. I understand it's not a title from kind of, you know, AEW itself. And that is, that's cool. I quite like that. But I don't, as I said, I don't think anyone having watched that match is then going to go, well, I'm going to watch NWA Power this week. It's just not going to happen. No, I think that's, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's nice for the NWA to like have access to the AEW roster to fill out their big shows. Um, They don't get the big stars in, you know, they got like Red Velvet and Carrie Lynn, who are a good tag team. They're solid, but I, you know, they're not, best friends are they you know you know it's like they, they get the they get talent that need more time elsewhere to get some some you know they will freshen up an nwa show they'll get some experience with a different type of wrestler and different type of audience it's good for the aw wrestlers but it's good for the nwa as well but it's not you know big massive star power stuff um we should probably talk about ring of honor and nwa before we finish off we i mean Neither of us are complete lucha experts. I think CMLL or AAA are doing all right, aren't they? 
You tell me. I have no idea. You said you were having a summer of lucha this year. And, I did, uh, and I did watch a lot more lucha than I normally do, and I thought it was very, very good. And uh, but it's still very much bright, flashy costumes and lots of big, cool moves, and I kind of like that. Um, <laughs> but I, again, like the business side of it, I know CMLL were considering selling out to AAA like at the beginning of the year, which is like horrifying um to lucha fans because like the the oldest wrestling promotion in the world was gonna have to sell up but they seem to have right the ship they've signed some new talent they've had some old talent back i do like the fact that the original mystico who went to be sincara in the wwe is yeah. now mystico again yes <laughs> who was it who said this and what it might have been you uh yeah yeah, I, I, I heard it on something, and someone was saying, so the original Mystico went to be Sinkara, then somebody else came in and became a new Mystico, but then they switched companies. It might have been you on te- on Twitter or something. I yeah, saw yeah. this, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, so the, the original Mystico in CMLL was a massive, massive star, like El Santo-style yeah. massive. And apparently, the reason why was he went to... Because Alberto El Patron had such a successful run in WWE, he considered that a front. <laughs> right. Um, um, and thought he would be a much bigger star if he went to WWE. So he went to WWE and fell flat on his face, as we all now know. And then went back to CMLL, but someone had already got the Mystico mask because CMLL owned the rights to Mystico. So he couldn't be Mystico. So he started a new character. And then the person who was Mystico signed with AAA. So now he's Mystico again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all goes full circle in the end. It does. That's, yeah. that's nice to have. Nice to see. Yes. So let's let's finish off with the NWA and Ring of Honor because there's two companies that don't. Well, the NWA wasn't didn't really. It did exist, but it was the post Impact Wrestling version of the NWA, which is still kind of trying to find an identity. And never really did before they sold out to Billy Corgan. Um, I suppose we can start there because they've had the biggest cards recently. Um, what do you think of NWA since its comeback and its revival? Because it seems to be just like podding along nicely as a TV show that does what it says on the tin. Yeah, it does. I, I kind of, I had a little, I don't know what it was. It must have been 2019. I had a little kind of attempt at watching all of their YouTube videos at mm. one point because I was kind of like interested because they were doing that thing where they followed Tim Storm around because he was the NW champion and then um, obviously what's his face Magnus whatever his name is now Nick Aldis that's it yeah. um, kind of was put up against him and then he became champion and so they they and they were they were they were just doing this they were sort of telling a story for YouTube but not actually having their own shows at that time yeah. they were just just focusing on the the champion and and the champion would defend in, in other promotions. And then eventually, they obviously all, always with the hope that they would eventually build up enough wrestlers around this title to then create a roster out of it, which they've obviously ultimately done. I can't say I've watched a lot of it since they've had the shows that they, they themselves have made. What I have watched of it is was kind of, you know, I think they're really, I think the idea here is to say, you know what, you've got impact out there that probably appeals to probably a younger uh, or a younger set of fans but who mm. were brought up maybe on TNA maybe on 2000s WWE you've got WWE out there which is still your mainstream and you've got AEW which perhaps is where you're more cutting edge or what you might call hardcore casual um, or um, smart fans maybe are watching so what we will be is 
we will hark back to the 1980s <laughs> and <laughs> try and provide something i mean they even use the same i mean ultimately the bloody set that they used looks like mid-atlantic from the 1980s yeah. that's what it looks like so they're obviously they are trying to evoke that feel they're trying to get people who are in their 50s and 60s i assume to watch this much more traditional style of, of wrestling promotion and trevor murdoch's just won their title and mm. trevor murdoch looks like a wrestler from 1974 <laughs> i mean that's what he just looks that way i don't think it's a bad thing i actually quite like him as a wrestler but ultimately you know, he's your now your star champion. It's just not, it's 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 not. You wouldn't get that anywhere else in American wrestling at the moment. So I I I think look if it's if it's working for them and they've got an an audience, then fair play. I can I can get on board with that. I think that um, I think that that works. You've got if you're going to do this, if you're going to create a wrestling promotion and going to put it on some kind of television, you have got to find your unique selling point. And I think theirs is well, we're going to be your wrestling promotion that you haven't seen for 35 years um, <laughs> and that's that's fair enough i mean it's, it's it is a miracle that seven years ago like we would never predict there were essentially like four full-time wrestling promotions that can actually support people having a making a living in north america i'm sure the nwa guys aren't making a ton of money but they're on retainers to be able to be available for the company the whole year round and there's a full roster there so you know, I'm sure they do loads of indie work to make up their bookings, but the fact that you could actually have four companies that would produce regular content for various different providers is is incredible. Okay, then. So as we're kind of like wrapping up with your North America, Ring of Honor, again, seem to have found their niche. And it's a bit like the NWA. They're not really going anywhere. Again, they're content producers like Impact Wrestling. They don't literally don't necessarily have to make any money. So as long as Sinclair need content, they'll have jobs. And I think that stood them in good stead because in 2019, they went to the Madison Square Guardian and that was really their high point. But since then, with mass exoduses of talent, COVID and various other things, they kind of just had to fall back on what they do well. And what they do well certainly has an audience. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because I haven't, I gotta be honest, I haven't watched Ring of Honor for years. Um, and I, they seem an irrelevance to me, <laughs> mainly, <laughs> because I feel like, unlike, for example, Impact, you can continue to provide something akin to what Impact always was. Um, Ring of Honor can't really, because they used to have what you might call the absolute kind of cutting edge of professional independent wrestler, wrestlers. Mm. Um, they don't really can't really do that now. There's too many people out there also bringing that talent in. So first of all, WWE were doing it. They were stockpiling all those guys that were really big indie talents from the past and in and obviously from the present. And then AEW came along and there's a second company doing it. <laughs> and it yeah. just felt a bit like how do you how do you remain relevant in that marketplace? And I don't really feel like they have done. I feel like and and you know that's perhaps not fair because I haven't watched what they do, but I you don't I don't hear anything about Ring of Honor anymore. Whereas, as you said, in 2016, you could argue they were becoming the number two company in the US. I can't I can't understand. I may, maybe they're still doing great business. I don't know, but I'd be shocked if that was. You know, obviously it's not the case now because AEW exists, but I'd be shocked if they're even number three. Because what kind of what what do they do? What can what can they provide that? that is 
of value. <laughs> it sounds awful. But like, I don't know where they fit anymore. I, I mean, looking at their products, and this, this is obviously something close to Marcus's heart, they have managed to corner a lot of African-American talent that either haven't been showcased anywhere else or companies don't want to showcase anywhere else or haven't found opportunities anywhere else. That's one thing about their roster that really strikes you. Jonathan Gresham kind of leads the way and obviously um, uh, Jay as well. But it's a lot of it is to do with this that pure wrestling style. But again, you know, arguably, well, I could get that by watching New Japan or Noah you know, who did it originally, <laughs> you know, no ring about ring of honor will always be a composite style of other companies, uh, home base. But having said that they have kind of gone back on their history and there is a lot of talented wrestlers who work for that company. But again, it's, I don't think they're ever going to reach Madison square garden doing what they're doing because they don't seem to be a priority for, for new Japan pro wrestling anymore. Uh, cause obviously AEW's come along and impact wrestling who are, much more pliable as far as talent relations is concerned. They can't, you know, their pay-per-views are great if you followed the whole TV show and the whole experience, but a lot of their workhorses aren't there anymore because they've got jobs with AEWs. So like the nuts and bolts of the mid-card is still rebuilding. Having said that, they got Chris Dickinson as well. They've got a bunch of new talent that they've signed and brought up from the indies. Some of them are on Ring of Honor contracts. They're just using them show by show, which has added flavor to it. I don't think it's a knock your socks off wrestling product. I think there's things they can fix, but I think they've also kind of realized what impact have realized in that we're going to have our core audience and maybe occasionally we can expand that core audience. But the way the wrestling business is at the moment, we're never going to be what AEW are, which is what they set out to be, I suppose, in the first place, but they can't do that now. So they kind of have to just be content with being content providers, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think... I guess that's 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 fair enough. I just I think that I guess my feeling is is that there can be companies out there that are able to run and be successful, but they're not notable anymore. They're, yeah. they're just not they're not important anymore. I, I know that 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 might sound harsh to some people. I'm sure there's some big fans of Ring of Honor, but they're not. There's nothing that they provide that no that nobody else provides. They no longer as I say, are the cutting edge of independent of independent pro wrestling. They're, they're not anymore. They don't provide things that we can't see every week on WWE television, let alone AEW. Mm. Um, yes, they their presentation is still going to be can still be different, but it's just I think you know you as well, James, as somebody who watches all wrestling from everywhere. Yeah. you are very much kind of in the mindset that there is this just huge depth of talent everywhere i think the majority of people who watch wrestling are looking for the cream of the talent the very very best yeah. and ring of honor don't provide the very very best anymore like they used to um so to me it might run really well but it's kind of like you know it, it just isn't it's just not notable i just don't i think it's it's out of place being talked about by us because i don't really feel like it it belongs in that kind that conversation anymore and that as i said it may be harsh but i just don't think it does it's not significant to the rest of the industry i think as well it's kind of fallen between 
like GCW and IWTV produce shows on a regular basis that are cutting edge, as far as their hardcore content is concerned, literally cutting edge. Um, but that's kind of stolen the thunder of what Ring of Honor used to do. And Ring of Honor can, Ring of Honor, a professional, competent wrestling company who can produce a competent show, which isn't necessarily something GCW can do, because some of their shows are horrible. Um, but they, there is a certain magic in that kind of wrestling in the sense of there might be just flashes of brilliance, whereas Ring of Honor is always going to be competent. There's not necessarily going to be flashes of brilliance. So well, the, I guess put it this way, James, and you're right. So GCW, they provide, but they provide something unique. They provide yeah. something, the best of something that no one else does. They are the leaders in their field. What are Ring of Honor the leaders in? Yeah, exactly. That's my, Yeah, that's the point. The flip side of just being competent is you're never going to be more than just being competent. And there's nothing, yeah, and there's nothing like, so So that's why I say, you know, even if they drew, you know, even if they're able to draw a couple of thousand fans to each of their shows, which would still be really impressive for an independent promotion, mm. doesn't add up to a whole hill of beans in terms of their significance, their importance to the business. It yeah. is, they're just out there doing what they do, existing providing a platform for certain people who will no doubt be, have an eye on when can I get an AEW contract? When can I get a contract <laughs> with NXT? When can I go and work in New Japan more regularly? But not that this isn't where they want to be now. <laughs> this is yeah. The, yeah, if they could choose somewhere to be, they wouldn't be choosing Ring of Honor anymore, which they would have been once once upon a time. No, and there is an awful big gap. And the same thing you talked about in WWE, like the top of their card, the Briscoes are still there. Literally, as they say in their promos, from day one. Well, day one was 20 years ago. Mm. And know, there's I'm a just... reason why no one else touches them. It's because they're bloody Fruit Loops, a pair of them. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But that's their home. And if you want to go see the Briscoes, you go watch them or not. That's fine. But again, it, it stops you building anything further than that. If you are competent, then exceptional becomes a way off. So, yes, I understand where you're coming from. Um, and that kind of leaves us with... The home counties, as it were, Britress. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, it's been a rough ride these last few years with incredible peaks like progress at Wembley and one thing or another, and then massive troughs like uh, Speaking Out, which kind of kneecapped to the industry 12, 12 months ago. But equally, out of that, we get parliamentary recognition, which for the first time, literally since the Mount Evans Rumor was founded in the late 1940s, someone in Parliament went, We should take a look at this. Um, as it's become a serious industry. So BritRest is kind of in an odd place at the minute as companies start to come out from COVID hibernation because they didn't have the money to run TV shows um, or like regular tapings. So what's your thoughts on BritRest? Because it's been an interesting ride. Um, I mean, God, where to start? Because I think it's it's a bit... I mean, obviously... um, the seven years we've, you've been doing this show, James, have been, have seen a tremendous peak and then a tremendous fall from grace for mm. Brett Ress. And it's not just the companies and, the, and what's going on here, but it's the wrestlers. So before the um, the people that came out to, to, you know, give their voice bravely to tell people what was going on within the industry, before that point... British wrestlers were everywhere. Yeah. Jimmy Havoc was in AEW. Marty Skrull was in Ring of Honor. 
Um, Will Ospreay obviously doing big things in, in Japan. You had guys like Jack Gallagher working in WWE's main roster. You had El Ligero um, finally getting kind of some recognition, going to NXT and doing what he was doing, and loads of others as well. And all of these guys have in some way fallen foul of because of their because of their behavior and rightfully so they are now being punished for that and they're being effectively not not in every case i know one or two of them are still going around mm. working but in the majority of cases have effectively disappeared um from from the public eye and that's right but at the same time it's like sh- shrunk the the significance of the British wrestling industry completely out of nowhere, because these were the guys that three, four years ago were making British wrestling must must watch. Then they went out to the world and started working elsewhere. And now they've rightfully been kind of moved on. And it's left this gaping hole in terms of talent in the UK, because really of just their initial exodus because of, you know, NXT UK, for example, which was created to effectively, nullify the 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 good businesses that was the good business that was being done in the uk by these promotions mm. um and then secondly by their, their exodus of talent to the other places so anybody who wasn't quite picked up by nxt uk who was significant who could draw fans in the uk effectively went somewhere else so all you were left with them was the promotions themselves to sell they were basically the selling point and so a company like progress was still okay for a bit because they could they could trade on the name because progress wrestling was now synonymous with being you know the arguably the coolest british wrestling independent if you like maybe not the best but the coolest certainly yeah yeah um and then of course they then also uh, have come uh, it's been have been exposed as, as having some bad practices as having covered up certain things and now that's not even true. They're not even they're not a cool brand at all anymore. In fact, I think I tried to watch one of the shows that they had on the network and I was like, within 10 minutes, I don't want to watch this. There's just no interest in it at all for me. Mm. And I just yeah, I mean it's 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 almost been gutted to the point where the the noise I've seen online about the British wrestling industry and, and the shows that are coming back seem to be about Doug Williams and Dean Allmark. And I'm <laughs> like, these are the guys that were the big like in the 2000s not the 2010s like we've gone back a whole generation simply to find some people who weren't like sullied by all the the bullshit that they did for the last 10 years so it's it's just it's just unbelievable how much of a fall from grace it has been for the british for brit rest uh, Doug, uh, I think Doug came. I think Doug saw his opportunity and came out of retirement just so he could sweep so. up. He's, <laughs> well, he's, he's the only one left, really. He's the only yeah, kind of high quality pro wrestler. I mean, there are obviously. So I'm not. I'm, I'm doing a lot of people down. I'm sure, but in terms of having a name and being good at the same time, he's probably the only one left. Yeah, I mean, there's the the program, um, not progress. Rev Pro's anniversary show in Manchester the other week, and he wrestles Will Ospreay in the main event, and Osprey comes out and it's crickets. There's four guys clapping him <laughs> who quietly and embarrassedly sit down <laughs> when they realize no one else is because no one cares about Will Osprey anymore. Or certainly in that particular hall, I'm sure in a much more ref pro positive crowd, he would get a much better response. You know, and then Doug Williams comes out and the place goes nuts for him. And it's like, well, that's not really, you know, Osprey's supposed to be this big star. 
Anywho, yes. But that's the effect. That kind of sums up what you've been saying about the fact that essentially the industry kneecapped itself. Now, arguably, that's the story of Britress since about mm. 1930. <laughs> you know, <laughs> athletically, the, the first wave of success of uh, professional wrestling in the UK came along in the 1920s and 30s and got hot shotted to death in the 1930s with street fights and God knows what else until all the local authorities shut wrestling down because it wasn't considered wholesome fans and family entertainment. And then you get the first TV boom and that dies off when the big feud happens and then you get Big Daddy and that does that thing. So everything gets bigger and bigger and bigger and promoters don't realize that one day it's all going to burst and then it all bursts and then you're in the slump again, which has literally been the story of what British wrestling has done for the last hundred years. And it's nice to see some traditions don't die. Having said that, are doing okay. Um, and, you know, British wrestling, I, I did a profile for Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine uh, Club last year about um, BWR in Grimsby. And I know those guys. And I wanted the, they'd, I asked them if I could profile them because I thought they would, they would, they all worked in education. Funnily enough, one of the, their, lead bookers worked at a school I worked at. I, we didn't know work there at the same time. So I know that all of their safeguarding was in place and they were taking very seriously the ideas of support for workers and trying to shut down opportunities for abuse, which is exactly what they needed to do. And they'd made a big show of it. And certainly from what I saw, everything's in place. And they have got a talented roster of local wrestlers that are mixing with big names and they're doing the right things. But that's the exception, not the rule. And, you know, again, as much as they're great and they can fill Memorial Hall once a month with a couple of thousand people, in the great streaks of Britress, it's still going to take a while for them to get anywhere with that. They, you know, and it's it's one or two companies that are doing that. And you're always going to have Butlins, the, you know, when people get back to proper summer oldies either this year, you're going to have people are going to be employed. But it, being employed and being a star and where we were in, say, 2019 compared to where we are in 2021 is a big difference. It took British wrestling so long to come up with a cool product, a really cool product that was genuinely cutting through. In and not just one, there were a couple, you know, in fairness. I, I we've talked about progress, but ICW was also yeah. another one that, that mm-hmm. was ultra cool at one point. Um and so it took them but it took forever for those two companies to to uh, materialize. It will take probably longer again for another one too. I just don't see what the, I don't know what the future, I can't see a, I think basically British wrestling has gone back into the running itself out of very small halls in front of very small crowds with very small payouts for the talent, which is a real shame because it's not the, the talent still working. It's not their fault. Unfortunately, the ones that are still working are the ones that presumably in the main will be the ones who weren't, caught up in all the bullshit that went on and therefore you know and they, and they include you know men and women who who now won't get the chance to be put on quite the same stage as they were that, that their predecessors were but you know it's it's just a it's just a real it, it bums me out a bit to be honest this is it's, it's such a shame and um i yeah i just find it it's, it's so weird how quickly the whole thing is just completely falling apart and i think during that period as well so with the period we're talking about here, the last seven years, like I was, I was, I watched progress quite a lot from about the end of 2013. I was quite interested mm. in progress and through to about, again, about the end of 2015. And then 
fell out with it, just like I fell out with everything, basically. It wasn't specifically Progress's fault. And every time I went back to see what was going on, it felt like they, much like New Japan, were bringing in more and more imports. It was yeah, relying yeah. more and more on people from America or from Australia um, or from, you know, somewhere else. And I and I always felt like the the thing I really loved about Progress when I first started watching it was that it was all nearly all homegrown talent. And the occasions when they would have an import, it would be for a very special occasion. So they'd have Ricochet, for example, or yeah. Samoa Joe, you know, really quite big deals to get those guys to have a match on their shows. But it just became practically everyone on the roster after a bit. And so the so even so what has happened is you almost had a generation of British stars that came up through the through the industry became stars went somewhere else and were replaced by non-british stars and the industry's now been left with nobody there mm. to, to to take it forward because now the the kind of bottom's fallen out all the imports have gone elsewhere they've gone to america or they've gone to australia wherever they are working and because because america because britain's now not that much of a a hotbed of 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 um money as it probably was two years ago yeah. now in fairness that we are still coming out of covid and a lot of these companies are, have yet to return almost um but i also would expect covid to have put a lot of these companies out of business um at one point there was just so many in, in uh <laughs> of britain there were just it was insane to the point where i can remember in like 2015 or something i was looking through on twitter and i was like oh there's a sh there's a there's a company here in cheltenham there's a company here in gloucester there's a company here in bristol there's one based in bath there's one based in exeter there's, you know yeah. everywhere basically around me one in newport one in cardiff and you were like this is just it's just crazy every single town has got you know and, and we're not talking like yeah, America, where these towns are spread out, they're like right next to each other. It's <laughs> got a wrestling promotion, um, and so like it was just crazy. There was just such a concentration of of companies. I mean, I'd be shocked if it's even a quarter of that now. That are yeah, up. because you know, first of all, I think strangely, I think even before COVID, I think 2019 saw a lot of closures and a lot of kind of there. There did seem to be a the industry did seem to be on the wane slightly, but then it was massively accelerated by COVID, then by all the revelations that came out. Um, yeah. And then we've had another year, effectively, of COVID. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's just, it's blown up, basically. It's completely blown up. <laughs> yeah, I remember there was a promotional war in Grimsby. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, how did you manage this? Because I think it was probably All-Star. We're running the All-Star, we're running Grimsby Auditorium. And the local wrestling company were running the theatre. And Sam Adonis, who wrestled for anybody, uh, was wrestling both. So he like, he was wrestling in the opening match on one show and then going across town to wrestle the main event for All-Star. And it's like the people would, like All-Star were doing the old trick of giving free tickets away on to their show on the Friday. If you saw, uh, It's like, oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, to be honest, I, I remember, God, it was 2000 and five or six something like mm. that maybe 2007 me and um tom who i did a podcast with went to a show at the uh um i think it might even have been at the hippodrome it's over that at the colson hall one of the two big theaters basically mm. in the center of bristol and um and it was uh all star i think i mean i, I it was a long time ago now so i i think that's who it was yeah they just ran that and that was probably the one wrestling show 
that I had even heard of being in Bristol at that time. Yeah. Um, then 2015, there was a full time, well, say full time, they did sort of 10 shows a year in Bristol. Yeah. One company. There was another company who would visit twice a year. ICW came here a couple of times at one mm. point. Um, there was uh, another promotion, like from I think I think maybe Dragon Pro from Newport. They potentially did a show here. I know that. Sorry, Attack used to do uh, shows uh, show in Bristol every couple of months or every three months or something. And it was ridiculous. It was like this is crazy. <laughs> I could see a show probably two nearly nearly two shows a month in Bristol, and I was like, that's gone from where I literally had only heard about one show a year, possibly in a theater where you could only, basically all the fans were on one side of the ring because it was a proper theater with a normal stage to being where you'd see lots of different wrestling promotions coming here and with people you'd heard of, like not just like, oh, yeah. not just kind of James Mason and, and bloody the, the, the little person that they used to have with them. Um, <laughs> but you'd have like, You'd have like, you know, as I say, like Chris Masters and, and you know, even some of the British guys you'd know. You'd be like oh, Pete Dunne or Mark Andrews. You know, these, these are El Laguerre was 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 quite quite a regular for um for yeah. wrestling chaos. So it was just it was it was mad. You were just seeing people you knew and you're like, what well, this is crazy all the time. So it did really blow up. But I, I don't think I don't know if any of those companies are still running that were coming here regularly obviously icwr but they very much shrunk back into being scottish only because they i don't think they were really making the money they wanted to make from those big uk tours um and i th and I, I said i don't know if any of i don't even know if attack are running anymore which nobody's been running have they for the last 18 months so no. I guess that's part of it no because they well if i remember correctly with attack like when mark andrew signed with nxt uk he kind of didn't have the time to run it so i think they kind yeah. of handed it off to Chris Brooks, who then, of course, as we mentioned earlier, got signed to DDT, who disappeared off to Japan. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, that, but that's, that's the thing. I mean, it's like that golden generation of wrestlers have, like you said, they found a place elsewhere. And this is the thing. I remember watching a show. It was, uh, it was the, the, no, it was the film. It was the figure four film about British wrestling. And there was an interesting shot on that. Dave Taylor said, well, you know, the lads that came after us just weren't as good, were they? They just didn't have the the presence. They didn't have, they didn't have, you know, what it took to be big stars in the UK. And the next crop was Spud. And he said, yeah, but you all left. We didn't have that generation to look after us, to guide us like you had. We had to do it our way and we had to do it ourselves. And we did become stars despite that. But, this is what happens again. That golden generation are not there to guide the Cara Noirs and the uh, the big names that we currently have. In, <laughs> what women's wrestling is still about, you know. But the the main event names that are going to come up, or we hope will come up, they're just not there anymore. You know that because of that, and it's it's essentially twenty years ago repeating itself again. But the, the reason I laughed then was because literally the only person I can name um, right now who is a relatively has got some cachet as a name, if you like, is Cara Noir. Cara Noir. Yeah. And I was like, this is the one person that when you started listening, I was like, okay, he's going to say Cara Noir. Got that. <laughs> no one, couldn't name anyone else. And you didn't. And I was just no. like, that just says it all. Like there was a time when you could list off 20 guys in yeah. one moment, like who were regularly, like not just once a month, but twice a weekend, if not more, <laughs> wrestling somewhere in the UK. See, this is the thing. People can... everywhere knew who they were. 
I could name you 20 women. Right. Because they haven't been picked up and signed like the men have. Not, yeah, not to the same degree, certainly not. No. Yeah, no, I mean, Sammy Jane and uh, uh, Jetta, Charlie Morgan's come out of retirement this weekend. You know, there's a bunch of people who are especially associated with Eve, but, you know, the women's wrestlers, the women's wrestlers have not got picked up. I suppose, you know, obviously B Priestley works for WWE UK, and I can't remember what her, her WWE name is, but, and uh, Jamie Hayter just signed with AEW, but, like, out the men... Yeah, it is just there's a big black hole of mentorship that just isn't there, <laughs> you know. So there you go. If you anything else you would like to mention before we wrap up for today, Ben? Uh, I don't think so. I think we've covered everything as as kind of comprehensively as we possibly could. Um, I think ultimately, I think we're in a really interesting period right now, and I we probably say that every single year. But for me, as I said, I, I have reached a peak of of interest in pro wrestling that I haven't had certainly since I was at Wrestle Talk, possibly since before that, because a lot of that was wound up in the fact that I kind of felt obliged to because I was working for Wrestle Talk. Um, whereas this has been kind of much more off my own back, and I've really kind of got into all elite wrestling. But I've also watched more WWE this year than I have watched in the last three four years. Mm. Um, I've even, as I said, I've sampled Impact. I tried to watch an episode of it for this show, but as I said, they now require you to pay for it on the fight. TV <laughs> so I'm not willing to do because it is still just Impact Wrestling after all. Um, and you know, so I am, I, I am much more into it. But I also think that the business, that the, there, there are probably two or three things which I think really mark this year out as being significant. First one is the return from covid so the crowds are back and there is a mini i don't want to call it a boom but there's definitely a there's, there's a definitely a sort of spike in people's interest in wrestling mm. i think in general because of that we've seen wwe's ratings go up a little bit in america we've seen aw hitting the headlines more than they were before partially because of who they've been able to sign but you know ultimately i think they feel like a hotter product because fans are back and because and they feel the hotter product, the whole thing just feels more exciting. So I think that's partly it, partly it. The second thing is obviously Punk. What impact will CM yeah. Punk have going to AEW? You know, I wish people would stop talking about things like, there, there's too many people right now quoting numbers without any kind of commentary. So there'll be people talking about CM Punk and the bump in ratings that AEW got on Rampage, the wiki debuted, without any kind of thought about, well, but, you know, it is just this amount. It's not huge. It's not like they've turned into the biggest company in the world overnight. But then there's other people who will say, well, yeah, but look, they're they're rubbish. Their ratings are so low. It's ridiculous. It's like, but they aren't established in the marketplace the way WWE. These things take time. You know, let's just, let's just see this play out a bit. Let's see what the longer term numbers say, shall we? Um, but, you know, let's see what... I think that's going to be really interesting to see how CM Punk and, and the, the, the impact him going into AEW has and potentially Daniel Bryan as well still to come supposedly which would be a kind of double whammy the like of which I don't think wrestling has seen since I know this sounds a bit hyperbolous but <laughs> since the outsiders went to WCW I mean we're talking about two of the biggest acts in the world at the time you know yeah. like they, they they are about as big as stars as moved from one major company to another in North America than that than has been since then so I'd argue it's 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 the biggest biggest signing since then, um, and then the third 
The third thing is this deal deal that WWE have done with Peacock, which is perhaps not as flashy or as glamorous, but is probably the most significant thing that's happened in pro wrestling this year in terms of what what the impact of it on the long term will be. Because there there are various things here. I think, first of all, it means that once again, WWE have changed their model. They went from being you know, go back to the 1980s or before that, where they were basically a touring company who took their matches on the road, sold the same match again and again and again to lots of different major arenas, came back round the loop, did another set of TV tapings, set out another bunch of main events that they were going to do and did exactly the same thing and just kept doing that. So you'd never get the big matches on TV. They'd always be on your, your big house shows, Madison Square Garden, Maple Leaf Gardens, wherever. Then they became the pay-per-view company. But effectively still, the, the what it meant, though, is that the presentation was still relatively similar because you would just basically build up to these big matches, just like you used to do. Only the difference was is rather than put them on the loop, you just put them on the pay-per-view to get one big payout, and then you'd put them on the loop, but in lesser buildings. Then they did the network, which changed their model completely. And then and now they've done what they've done now, which has basically gone back to just being content providers, which is what they were during the pay-per-view era. The only difference is, is that now they've got a fixed sum of money that's coming into them for the next five years. And it's one of the biggest deals, well, it is the biggest deal any wrestling company's ever done, effectively. There's, there's never been a deal as big as this. <laughs> so it changes massively how WWE will approach things. It changes massively the extent to which they are reliant on building stars and building up to the big matches. Um, you know, I think we've already seen for a number of years, really, WWE aren't that interested in building stars. They're more interested in building an ensemble cast of people that you can choose who you want to cheer for, who you want to boo for, boo against. And it doesn't really matter to them what you say or do. Like, they they will they will make the money it doesn't matter who who gets who yeah. gets made massively who becomes a big star who doesn't become a big star none of that really matters all that matters is that they're shifting units of whatever it is they're selling and in the main it is their content so and i'll be interested to see if any other companies kind of figure out a way to go down this same route you know if you are AEW and you're seeing WWE with peacock and their deal maybe you start to make overtures towards netflix or to someone else and go you know, if you want a wrestling alternative where we, we you know, look at the content AEW are pumping out every year, every yeah. week, sorry. You know, two hours on a Wednesday night, an hour on a, on a, on a Friday night, an hour for um, Elevation, two hours for Dark. Like, you're, you've got hours of content there. That's, yeah. that's That could be valuable to somebody, especially with the, the quality of production that they provide. So, again, I feel like it will have, because where WWE goes, everyone else goes. We said this seven years ago. They had the WWE Network. Then everyone started doing the same thing, basically. Where WWE has gone now with that deal with Peacock is where I think probably we'll see other promotions. You've got the ability to create content and lots of it at a high spec level will maybe start to look in that direction. I wouldn't, as I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see AEW do the same. No, I think you're absolutely right there. And I think that's probably pretty much where you're going to see wrestling content go for the next 20 years ago. So but it, it, it depends on who's in charge of WWE and you know how well they can keep their finger on the pulse of content and content distribution. Well, you know, I think, put it this way, I think if Vince went away tomorrow... I don't think anything would change now. I think this is because it doesn't matter really 
in the grand scheme of things, as a company, WWE don't care about the product they provide. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, but they don't. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> they, they just, all they care about is the money that they make from it. And that's because yeah. they're owned by shareholders and the shareholders only care about that. So as long as they keep providing a, a profit and as long as people, as long as WWE have that deep kind of, um, that sort of just deep penetration in the market that they have and they're not getting you're not getting rid of them you know their their penetration now is they've been on their own for 20 years <laughs> basically <laughs> no one's come close to them in 20 years and AEW aren't anywhere near close to them let's not fool ourselves no, 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 no. just because they've done some good ratings just because they've got a lot of money just because cm punk signed that they're going to suddenly be a great company or sorry they're going to be able to challenge wwe um they're on their own and so nobody is in their league still business-wise, and they won't be for very, very, very many years to come. So, there, I don't see their, I don't see their product changing an awful lot, no matter who's in charge. Because right now, what they care about is you heard a couple of weeks ago Nick Khan saying, "I wish Raw was four hours long." Yeah. I mean, who wants that? I don't want. I don't <laughs> want two hours of. I don't want an hour. I get rid of WWE. <laughs> In terms of what it does these days, but that just shows you it's content is king, and they they can pump it out at a rate bigger than anybody else. It's why they stockpile all the wrestlers, um, and and I know they've released a lot, but they still got loads of people <laughs> on their books. Um, Two hundred person roster or something ridiculous like that. I know it's still massive. It's still massive. Yeah. There's still lots of people that they've never they haven't even debuted on television yet that they yeah. like on NXT television yet that they are that they've got in their um that they've got signed up so yeah like you know that's why i think that's the significant thing is that i just think it will lead to other companies doing something similar and i think it's it's not about competing it's about being able to have a sustainable wrestling company and the the best way to do that right now is to have someone invest money in your content and be able to provide it to them because that's what's king content is king yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, well, I was just trying to think of like the most ridiculous thing, but I think it probably be, possibly could have three hours of Becky Lynch flicking rubber bands at the back of Charlotte Flair's head. <laughs> <laughs> and they won't care because they'd still make money anyway. So yeah. it doesn't matter. But there we go. Right. Thank you very much, Ben, for everything as far as the Trooping Show is concerned, but specifically for today's chat because I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's been, uh, it's been, it's been good. I, I apologise for some of the technical difficulties we've had during the recording of this. It's, it's um, okay. It's okay. It's, it's the, it is the problem we're trying to record during the middle of the day when people are most people are at work, um, which I normally would be, but I happen to be off today. But uh, yeah, uh, just a, uh, um, yeah, one of those things. It's okay. Where can we find you on the internet, and where can we find the random wrestling uh, review? So you can find the Random Wrestling Review pretty much everywhere that people can stream a podcast, basically. Um, and just to give you the crux of it, it is just myself and two of my close friends. We've been friends for, well, one of one of them I've been friends with since I was two years old. Um, we've watched wrestling, you know, pretty much all of our lives. Um, we've been to a couple of WrestleManias together. And it's basically three mates who really it started when we were all in lockdown just trying to find an excuse to actually sit down and chat to each other for a couple of hours <laughs> um and so as you can imagine it's as puerile as it gets because there's three 
um 30 something men who never really grew up um, <laughs> part, partially that's obvious because we're still watching wrestling um and also because we you know that's what happens if you if you stay friends with the people you grew up with so um and we thought we'd just take a, a wrestling show each week and just we just review it but we don't just review it there's a lot of other stuff that goes in there a whole kind of random nonsense that we talk um and you know i think yeah it's it's been fun i it's been probably responsible for my kind of um more interest in the business this last year or so um because i think just naturally we, we we're forcing ourselves to watch a wrestling show from some point in the past and then that that kind of almost in turn leads to an interest in what's going on now and obviously it's easy to compare the the wrestling of today with the wrestling of now if you watch a little bit of the now so um yes it's great we are at rwr pod uk on twitter that's probably the best place to follow us and um yeah give, give it a listen i think the as i said to you last time james i was on the show i think the best thing that i well not the best thing but i think the the one advantage we perhaps have, which is similar to yourselves, actually, is that you can pick and choose yeah. the episodes you might want to listen to because you're not going to be interested. For example, if you're not interested in the fact that we re- we we um, reviewed, I don't know, Elimination Chamber 2015 some time ago, you might be interested in the fact that we recently did uh, an episode of Clash of the Champions from 1992. Or if you're not interested in the fact that we did the Great American Bash from 1988, you might be interested in the fact that we did NXT TakeOver Chicago 2, for example, from a couple of years ago. So we're mixing it up. It's all kinds of different time uh, periods that we're, we're picking these shows from. And we're kind of just, we don't take it too seriously, but we do do quite a lot of analysis as well. So we kind of try and get the balance right between analysis and just irreverence. And hopefully most of the time we get that balance right. <laughs> it's an absolute blast to listen to and it was a pleasure to be a guest on the show uh when tom was on his paternity leave so i appreciate you asking me to come on um and yeah it's it's absolutely a must listen for wrestling fans if you kind of like what me and ben do and you know what me and ben do. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for for coming on today uh where can we find you on twitter uh, i personally am at tink holloway on twitter yeah absolutely Okay, and you can find me at Star on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and on Patreon, The Troopany Show, where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this to us for the last seven years. And amazingly, we keep growing. People keep listening to us. Our most listened to episode ever was the joint show me and John did about New Japan Pro Wrestling and Noah, which is which was really cool, and it was really great because we... we it, for some reason, 200 people a week listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So, I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? That's, it that's is, what it's yeah. all about. It is, it is really, really cool. So thank you very much for listening. And thank you very much for listening to The Troopany Show. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.